Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Now, today, this is the 77th episode of the Ion Cannon Podcast, which, of course, means it's somehow related to the original release of episode four, which was 1977. Um, and because of that connection, because we did totally plan this ahead of time, we're going to be talking about Rogue One today. Spoilers this time. We are not talking spoiler-free. Yeah, lots free. Of, uh, lots, yeah. We are, lots we, of spoilers. Um, what's, what's Rogue One? You know what? It's Rogue the. One. I mean... Yeah. Came out a few like years a... ago. Um, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. It, I, it I has... heard that this is like some tiny little movie they're going to make a sequel to. Well, no, no. Well, well, yeah. For what I understand, the sequel, they got George Lucas to direct it. Which no is really way. Cool. Really? Yeah, they did. They actually got That's George amazing. Lucas. Yes. Okay, now I'm stopping this. Okay. <laughs> okay. In were fairness, there in this movie? No, there was. <laughs> if we recorded this right after the movie came out, then we could probably do it. Now I think all of those jokes are kind of old. Oh, um, I know. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, we're a we have little things like Christmas vacations, and um, like in my case, I watched right. the movie, and then uh-huh. literally at 6 a.m. the next day, I was up flying home and then watched it again and then 6 a.m. the next day I was flying again so yeah because we saw it together and you're like okay movie over gotta go to sleep you yeah know? <laughs> I was it was bad yeah so no and then like we were all on vacation and out of town and that kind of stuff so I, I know it's a little bit after uh, Rogue One but now you had time to digest it see it a few times and now we're gonna dive into our full spoiler review I'm really excited to do this very excited uh, about this, this we actually haven't had a chance to discuss the movie as a group yet the three of us no uh i know tom you and i talked a little bit steven you, we talked a little bit as well but uh not in any uh any detail so i'm really excited about this yeah. this will be fun yeah it's going to be fun to talk about but it's going to be in a little bit i'm going to get into the announcements on this a little bit with heavy heart because um between the time of rogue one release and we're recording this podcast we're actually lost carrie fisher uh, very unexpectedly. Um, and then right after that, sadly, her mother passed away within a day. Mm. So it, it's, and I know that's not really hitting the Star Wars community that her mother passed away. It's more of the Carrie Fisher issue, but it's the relationship between the two that I think has hit a lot of people hard um, within the Hollywood community with both of them leaving at the same time. Um, yeah. And it appears our, our gonna, prayers are with her family. Yeah. And, yeah. and it appears this is going to be a big impact going into episode nine, really. Because what's been released out there, at least for Carrie Fisher's role, it was supposed to be an expanded role going into episodes eight and nine. Now, eight's supposedly, already, yeah. yeah, supposedly, and naturally, eight's already been released or not released. Eight's already been filmed, and it's going through the editing process. But at some point, I think this week or going into next, um, there's going to be a meaning to figure out how episode nine is going to be uh, worked at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing's very, very sad, but. Uh... Yeah. She was one of a kind. Yeah. She, she yeah. was one of a kind. Yes, she was. And uh, like I said, our, our thoughts and prayers are with her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So on to happier news. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did, didn't want to. Well, if you want to bring happier news, I have to say, she she definitely got. Supposedly, she was buried in. And I got to say this because I I heard about it. It was a no, Prozac. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was buried in this big Prozac thing, which is like, I mean, you you gotta give Carrie Fisher and and there's been a lot of tributes, but you gotta give her props for being who she is and just the original person that she was especially that tribute that's been all over the internet of her to george lucas and how she was talking about the metal bikini and there's no underwear in space i mean she was definitely one of a kind and i think that's a great way to just take this a little down over a moment and make it a little bit more brighter because she had that kind of personality and look at the star wars celebrations that she did and how her personality shined at that point so yeah yep yep but yeah. the, the, there's there's happier news. Um, yeah. The the big one, of course, is Rogue One. Uh, it is currently number two at the box office. Well, well actually, sorry. So it, it is it is blowing up the box office. It's number two for all of 2016. Uh, so it came oh, out it number really? two, which That's is pretty impressive be... considering it came out in the last two weeks of the year. In the last yeah. two weeks of the year, it made more money than almost every other film, bar one, That's Fighting Dory. Civil War, I'm assuming. Finding Dory, actually. Oh, Finding Dory is number one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the, uh, but yeah. It, other than that, it, in the last two weeks of the year, it made more money than every other film throughout that had the in almost the entire year. That is uh, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So Rogue One is doing amazing. I think it's about ready to break into the top ten movies of all time, top ten highest grossing, uh, not adjusted for inflation. Uh, I think it's sitting just shy of 460 million right now. Uh, U.S. and 840 million worldwide, so it is doing That's just absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's way, doing right? way better than no, I was, very good I was expecting. Right, I was expect. I mean, it's not it's not as big as the Force Awakens, which is you know completely understandable, right? Mm-hmm. It was the first Star Wars movie in a while. It's the it was a numbered Star Wars movie. You have the return of all these classic characters, um, but uh, it, I'm really excited to see that the the first standalone Star Wars film is doing so well. That's I mean, that's great news for the future of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. also, because it's doing so well, this is people are uh, speculating that the Han Solo movie that's going to be released, and it was supposed to be released, if I remember correct, in May of 2018, they decided to move mm-hmm. into December. Just because, and, and this is only speculation because of how well Rogue One did at this point. Mm-hmm. They want to try, yeah, they want to try and capitalize that in 2018. I think Star Wars is becoming a December movie. I mean, I know we said it last year, but yeah. uh, I think it's it's cemented its place at this point. Mm-hmm. If if it keeps the track record that's been set, then I could see it staying this way. I'd like to, personal opinion, is like it to go back to May because, you know, to me that's always been the Star Wars going into summer. But if it ends up being this way, that this is where people are expecting it going forward, why not? Why not? Because we're still getting Star Wars. That's the big thing. Yeah, it, yep. it is. That's what's that's what's that's what's important. And yep. I mean, December is kind of fun too. I mean, May has always felt more Star Warsy to me, but December's December's kind of it, oh. it's getting there. It's getting there. It's, it's a, a, it's a little bit busier with all the holidays and mm-hmm. everything, but it, it it works quite well. Clearly, uh, for uh, for the franchise. And at least at this point, if it comes out in December. Kids are out of school. A lot of families are probably on vacation at that point, maybe traveling, but still there's the opportunity to where there's a lot more people at that point going to the theater instead of in May 
because most of the kids are going to be getting out of school in Ju uh, June and July, even though it's the summer months. But the summers now have the big blockbusters. And if they move this to December, now December is becoming, let's say, the Star Wars blockbuster tentpole moment. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So anyway, uh, so that's what's going on uh, with in the box office. It's doing really well. But here on Ion Cannon, we care the most about the story of mm -hmm. Star Wars. And yes. boy, does it have a good story. So uh, how about we uh, we get into it? What do you guys think? That sounds good let's to me. Do it. Let's dive in. So obviously we're talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story directed by Gareth Edwards and written by John Knoll and Gary Whitta with a screenplay by Chris Weitz and Tony Gilroy. Uh, in a time of conflict, a group of unlikely heroes band together on a mission to steal the plans to the Death Star, the Empire's ultimate weapon of destruction. This key event in the Star Wars timeline brings together ordinary people who choose to do extraordinary things, and in doing so, become part of something greater than themselves. So, I mean, kicking things off, the the, the beginning of the film is very different than what we're used to. We get, you know, the, you sit down in the theater, you get uh, the Lucasfilm logo, and it says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And, and as all of you guys, I'm sure everyone listen to this knows when you watch a star wars movie there's a particular pattern that happens especially during the premiere where you see a long time ago and people start to cheer and clap uh sorry sorry you see the 20th century fox logo at the time and the lucasfilm logo and people would mm -hmm. clap and then it'd yeah. be silent during a long time ago and then as soon as the star wars logo appeared boom everyone would go crazy mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. uh but with rogue one you, know, you don't get the 20th century fox logo you get the lucasfilm logo so there was some clapping and stuff and you get a long yeah. time ago and it jumps straight into the film with a uh, you know a, 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 a just a big um, you just hear a, a like a vroom from uh, it, it, with the soundtrack uh, and it just, just jumps straight into the movie right away no scroll we had a feeling this was going to happen but mm -hmm. how did you guys feel jumping so, straight into this movie the lack of scroll actually bothered me less than the uh, the fact that I was disappointed there wasn't a Star Destroyer to open it up. Because that's kind of the other Star Wars hmm. tradition, which is most of the movies op opened with a shot of a fairly large spaceship. Mm -hmm. And this one didn't. And I, of all of the new movies, this is the one I would most expect to have a Star Destroyer at the beginning. But do you think because this is a different movie, it, that you expected something different at the beginning? I actually did not have a problem with it the way it opened i i expected this because they are yes it is its own standalone but you know to me if you're going to do the, the standard shots of a starter story or something coming overhead or, or, or the big beauty beauty shots that's going to stay within the nine episodes that are star wars since this is technically a 3.5 if you want to look at it that way insert within the timeline I could see this being different, and I had no problem with it going straight into the film because it actually, for me, yes, it was a flashback, but it was a continuation of the book Catalyst. That's how I saw it, and that to me was just like, okay, this took me straight from the book right into the movie. It does mm -hmm. pick it up almost immediately after, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that aspect. Of it. I felt like I had a much better understanding of the characters and mm -hmm. who everyone was. I mean, a lot, a lot of it because we've been we've been following the news so closely, right? Uh, versus someone who maybe hasn't. Like I went with uh, saw my with my dad over Christmas, 
and he said it just took him a little while to to kind of figure out who everyone was because it's a new Star Wars movie with no care almost none of the characters in the film are are familiar right there's mm. a couple background characters but none of the main characters are are people we're we're, we're familiar with mm. uh and um and so you know, he he said it was a little bit uh, hard for him to get into the movie right away because he was just expecting to see he, something he wanted familiar. something that connected mm-hmm. to what he was used to right yeah uh, when we get like we get this flashback and then we start to get introduced to all the other characters pr- pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh, yeah and, so i so having having read catalyst i feel like i had a better understanding of who the characters were and what their motivations were mm-hmm. and that's one thing that i've kind of stressed to people when we've talked about it at work if you really want to get a good backstory of how Galen Erso got really boxed in to building the Death Star, you have to read Catalyst. Yeah. You know, but... Well, and Catalyst does a lot to, like, I, I hadn't actually thought about this until you were talking about it, William. Uh, so, obviously spoilers, but uh, Lyra is killed at the very beginning of the movie. Right. And... Mm-hmm. I wonder, like for us, that I feel like that was probably fairly impactful because we've been we've just spent you know a three hundred page book following Lyra and Galen and their relationship, and they've just mm-hmm. kind of put things back together. Uh, in the movie, though, you're just introduced to all of the characters, and I wonder if that meant it wasn't as impactful of a scene for people who hadn't read the novel. I think you're probably right. I mean, it's it's some I mean, you know it's oh it's you know it's this little girl's mom and it's this guy's wife and mm-hmm. oh that's really sad, but. Um, you, you don't you don't understand quite the dynamics of what's going on and the mm-hmm. fact that you know Lyra had uh, kind of started to defy Galen at the end you know their their whole confrontation on Coruscant and mm-hmm. uh, you know, how she, she knew that he was he was evil and you know you, you didn't get you, you didn't kind of grow attached to to Galen and 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 um, Lyra's relationship and all that kind of stuff. I think on top of that, you also never got the feeling of her understanding of the kyber crystals, her understanding of the Jedi, mm-hmm. and and her just her feeling toward the Jedi Order, and and that stuff is all translated into the book, especially when it gets closer to the like the middle and the end of the book, where you start seeing her, you know, kind of honoring and and thinking about the Jedi more and the crystals and all that. Um, right, but and it, actually, it's, she it's gives... still everything worked out. Yeah, no, it, it works great. Yeah. It's just I I was glad to have had read the the. The, you know yeah. the, the the novel yep um and you, you even think little things like she gives Jin the uh the kyber crystal necklace right mm-hmm. and there's like a scene where she's holding it later on in the movie and like reflecting on her past or there's you know chirrut maybe senses uh, the uh the crystal but other than that like they don't really make a big deal about this kyber crystal necklace no you no. know and, and the importance of it to uh to the family mm-hmm. so it, it was interesting you know I, I i don't think a i don't think an opening scroll would have worked uh because we have to they have to build the relationship you know we, we didn't have that prequel novel so now the rest of the movie you need to get the i think the, a lot of the movie hinges on you getting attached a little bit to to galen and jen's relationship right mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and if you didn't certainly. have the flashback at the beginning, that would feel. You know, you, you if you read about uh, Lyra's death and and Galen's capture at the beginning instead of seeing it, mm-hmm. it would have 
I think lessened the impact of the film later on and having a, a, a crawl before what we see before the flashback isn't particularly, I don't know if it'd be particularly useful. Yeah. And I, th- I think in that respect, if the crawl was there, all it would have done, it would have quickly summarized the book and how could you have summarized the book in a crawl? That's like what four or five paragraphs long that people right. have to read. It probably would have been something like, you know, there's this scientist who went to go live on a, on the Lamu by himself because he didn't want to work for the Empire. And now the Empire, the, the Krennic is on his way to the planet to retrieve the scientist. Something, mm-hmm. You know, like you could do it, I guess. It, it would have been hard to write, though. I I would have I would have thought if, if mm-hmm. I was in the position to write that crawl, I would have thought it'd be very daunting because how am I going to take this 300 page book? And in a way, summarize it to where people yeah. can read it. And as you said, William, kind of get the understanding of the relationship between Galen and Jin and the loss of Lara, how you could summarize all that within a four paragraph, five paragraph crawl. Now, uh, apparently they actually did. They did have a crawl written for the film. Uh, but then pretty early on, they said, you know what, let's let's not let's not use this. So I, I feel like the biggest reason not to use the crawl is just that it helps clearly distinguishes this this is not a saga film yes Mm -hmm. and it's a way that it's a model that will work going forward you will always know if there's no crawl okay this is not related to the story of luke anakin ray any of those people you are familiar with Mm -hmm. it is something different yeah no you're, you're you're totally right and there's a couple things they did in in this film right they had uh they had no crawl they also didn't have any of the transitions which was another thing they originally had in an early cut of the film uh the different wipes and 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 transitions and that sort of thing uh but i didn't it didn't bother me not having them Mm -hmm. uh it was it was totally fine that those wipes weren't there well i think in a way they replaced it with actual planet identification which is something that we've never really seen within star wars where they're identified not all of the planets but they identified like the important planets that you know we're yeah. on Jeddah, we're you know here on um, uh, God. Yes, that's the yes. Water planet. Yeah, I mean they they identified planets that you needed to know about that never within Star Wars. You, you never yeah. knew about Yavin. Yeah. You never knew about you know uh, Hoth. You never knew about uh, Kashyyyk. Any of that. So mm-hmm. this is another way to distinguish. It that. was nice how it set it up. Like you, yes. you kind of see, oh, this is uh, this is the planet, and here's its purpose, and mm-hmm. not just um, you know you're just thrown onto a planet. Right, they, yeah. There was a there was one planet they didn't name. That was easily uh, picked. And we'll out. talk about that a little bit later. But that that was that was Mustafar, and, and we'll talk a bit more about how Mustafar is used later on in the show. But uh, yeah, and also Coruscant, I guess, in the flashback. There's a brief mm. shot on uh, Coruscant that well, basically is from it, it's from Catalyst. Yeah, yeah. Or Catalyst wrote the scene from, but you you get the idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other big the big change though is so we we get the. I mean, we get the we get the the scene setting up the film, right? And and, and um, Krennic comes and he, he he tries to get Galen to join him, and Lyra decides that she doesn't want to run away with Jin. She actually goes back to to rescue her husband and shoots Krennic, and in the process, she actually hits him, and in the process, she herself is uh, is killed. And uh, and so Jin is left on her own, um, and and that's when we see 
it, you know, it cuts to the she's just hiding, and uh, Saw Gerrera comes to rescue her. And I was actually surprised by how uh, how early Saw was introduced in the film and how mm. he was more of a almost like a family friend or he raised her. Uh, but then immediately we get the Rogue One logo. And I say that because there was no Star Wars branding whatsoever. And the, the logo is so short. It's like the first three notes of the Star Wars theme. And then it goes into its own thing and then fades out. And it's like, what, three, five seconds long? It's very short. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was also the the big change, I think, for, for the film. The fact that you just get the Rogue One logo and it kind of fades into the distance. And I think that also goes along with branding to show, okay, this is a <laughs> this is a different part of the saga and it's its own standalone. It'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see if they kind of carry this forward to the other standalones, if they're going to do kind of the same thing when it comes to the Han Solo movie and then the movie after that. I, so, I have a feeling they will. I think what was fascinating is that they, they didn't brand it Star Wars. No. Which, which I think in this case, it should be that way. Because you know that when you're looking at episodes one through nine, you know those are going to be Star Wars. And if these other stories are taking place within the Star Wars universe, if they set it up in a different way that how this was marketed, how this was put out there, how this was branded at the beginning, that these are in the universe, but they're separate films, then the public who are not big Star Wars fans will understand, okay, this is taking place finally in the Star Wars universe, but it's a separate story from the main storyline above, which is episodes one through nine. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it was it was it was different, but it, it works. It it, it works uh, very well. Um so of course we go this takes us into the the film itself. This is what I was talking about earlier, where we get different scenes setting up uh, the characters. We see Jin in prison um, by herself, and then uh, we jump to um, we jump to Cassian, and all these scenes actually apparently were added during the reshoots. They just kind of add a little bit more uh, depth to the characters and kind of introduce them a little more because Jin's first appearance is going to be in the Rebel base on Yavin Four. And so they actually added the whole rescue, oh, prison rescue scene. Interesting. Yeah, so that uh, you kind of get to know her a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, while we're talking about the reshoots and stuff like that, um, there have also been a couple of articles talking about uh, the way the film was shot and the number of angles and scenes Gareth oh, yeah. shot with almost, I don't want to say no intention of using them, but right. like just was like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know one of the ones that really struck me is there was the iconic shot in the first trailer where Jin turns around as the lights are flipping on. She's in mm-hmm. the Imperial uniform. And I was reading an article this morning that was like, well, so we were, you know, we were all getting ready. We we're leaving a set for the day. And someone flipped off the lights as Jin was leaving. Mm-hmm. Or as, uh, not Jin, sorry. As uh, Felicity, Felicity Jones was walking off set. And then someone called her name and she kind of turned around. And he's like, wait, 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 stop, guys. We need to film this. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah, what the lights, for, the lights, The lights did go on exactly <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 And so it was. <laughs> It's interesting, and he's like, yeah, I'd actually kind of forgotten about that scene up until it showed up in the trailer, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. I, I, yeah, it's actually good that you bring that up, because it's it's so interesting. The, there's been a lot of to-do made or, uh, you know, around the um, the fact that there's a ton of scenes in the movie that are not in the uh, in the trailers that are not in the movie. Um, and I've seen people say, oh, he didn't know what he was doing or what they wanted, or this is because of the massive reshoots or whatever. Yeah. Yes, they did reshoot parts of the film. 
this is actually a very normal thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that many f- the films do. They realize, oh yeah, we need a little bit more to introduce the characters, or the last third they tweaked a bit um, to to simplify it. I think because there was too many, too much going on, and there was a whole big escape that Jen and Cassian would have done, and that sort of thing. So they they streamlined it a bit. They they did change the way. Um, so the whole the whole Scarif battle happened mm-hmm. um i think everything from the point they transmit the plans on didn't change but the, the scarif battle changed uh, a lot um but other than that like th- that's mainly what they changed a- and and as you noted steven gareth edwards likes to shoot i believe it's called cinema verte i think where mm-hmm. it's just like shoot as much as you possibly can from every single angle mm-hmm. and like really get in there and don't plan it out too much about where the shot the angles are going to come from and he just kind of experiments on the fly like oh what if i try to get in here what if i try to get in there and they generate a ton of content a ton and uh i was listening to a, a an inter- podcast last night I, I don't remember which one it was it was a um it was on just posted on soundcloud and uh it's not one of the big stars on some other podcast but it was an interview with gareth edwards and he was talking about how the editing process for this film was extremely difficult because they had so much content they had to wade through. And so a lot of it, like when they were making the, mar- the, the trailers, the marketing department was just going through the dailies and picking out stuff that they liked. And that's why mm-hmm. it showed up. That particular scene that you mentioned showed up in the trailer. But here's the thing. And I have no problem with this happening. If they were taking actual footage from the film, I think to a certain extent it could spoil the film a little bit more if it actually made the trailer taking stuff like this the and i'll call them beauty shots because even the the krennic one that they have with the the pose with the cape behind him yeah and, and the water yeah and well that was one but then i think there's the still shot of him where he's standing in front of the map with the cape and all that oh yeah right that, that i think was one of the the beauty shots they they i'll call them beauty shots that they did like uh for the uh, felicity jones shot that kind of stuff i have no problem with making not making it in the film because it's not spoiling anything for me. Right. That's what's so great, actually, about the mar- this, this, about the fact that they did this. Mm-hmm. You get the feel of the film right. without actually any without actually spoiling it. Like, yeah. You could watch the trailers and have no idea what really happens in the film. You can get mm-hmm. like a, a, a rough uh, a, a feel for it. Right. Uh, and, you know, at, at a high level, but they don't spoil anything, which is really nice. Yeah, I, I have I- absolutely no problem with that stuff at all yeah so uh i i have to ask so as we get in we go to this the, the first uh the first plants we see are wabani where jen is is in a prison camp and uh after after lamu obviously and then the rings of uh i think it's pronounced kafrene i need to uh, double check or kafrene one of the two uh and this is where we see cassian for the first time and there's a character that looks a lot like Pablo Hidalgo, <laughs> yeah, although oh, it's not, and um, and he he's joked that he kind of looks like him though, and uh, and he's this character is is giving I forget his name because I don't think he's ever named in the film. Um, he's giving uh, Cassian information about this this super weapon, and nobody actually knows whether or not it exists. Which I I love that whole concept in the book, right? The, the rebels or in the book in the, in the movie the rebels don't actually know if this death star thing is true um and uh so he gives them this 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 information about this planet killer and some stormtroopers show up 
and they have to escape and this 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 guy's arm is is hurt it's damaged it's it's injured and there's no way he can he can get out of the out of the planet the safety so what does cassian do he shoots him and then runs away mm-hmm. basically preventing it making it so you know the guy one wouldn't get tortured or and reveal any information it's a very uh, positive spin to put on it and it that moment i don't know about you guys that moment completely surprised me but completely yeah. for me it pays Same. off for something he says in the end yeah so i could see that at the beginning if there wasn't that payoff at the end of why he went to scarif then that would have been lost on me and it would have been like okay but it, th- there's a reason for it so yeah. and yes it was surprisingly dark no yeah. uh, i'm sorry the guy's name is tivik okay. uh, it's the rings of the ring of kafreen um but uh, but yeah no that that was the kind of the moment where like you realize wow this is this is not your star wars movie your uh this is not your typical star wars movie right aside from the the way they the the way they the shot opening. it or the opening yeah. and that sort of thing this is the first like story moment where you're like okay this is a lot darker a lot darker than we thought it was going to be this this the hero of the film just shot a guy mm-hmm. uh so so he wouldn't be captured Wow. And it, and it really kind of sets it up because Cassian, I like the dynamic between the heroes, right? They, they don't, they're not all working together. I mean, in, in New Hope, you've got Han who wants to be paid and, and Leia has her mission and, and, and Luke's just kind of you know, doing his thing as well. Um, he you know, he just kind of wants to learn the ways of the Force at this point and, and, and complete this mission and help this princess. But, um, they all kind of have the same goal and the same mission. And this is, I think, I'd argue one of the first Star Wars films where the heroes actually aren't aligned and they have conflicting goals. Um, I'm not sure I entirely agree. So, because like I said, in episode four, Han very clearly has conflicting goals with, or maybe not conflicting, but different goals than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie does a much bigger job of, I'd say, rubbing it in almost. Well, yeah, I mean, like, because Cassian's whole orders are, like, his his orders are to kill Galen. That's true. That's right? more conflicting than we've had before. Uh, and, 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 yeah. and so he's, okay. like, he's intentionally working against the group and not telling them the whole story. Uh, when they're like, oh, we're going to rescue him. And he's like, no, I'm going to kill him. Uh, and, and so it's, it just makes the group dynamic different than we're, than we're used to. Um, but uh, so anyway, that, that whole scene, while brief at the beginning, really sets up just how... Uh, how far Cassian is is willing to go? Uh, any any thoughts on on Cassian's character? He's he's interesting. I'll say. Well, he's I, yeah. he's like in, a lot of the characters. Sorry, go ahead. Tom. No, no, go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt your I was thought. Say, so go like ahead. a lot of characters in Rogue One, I wish there was a little bit more. So he alludes to the fact that he's been you know he's been fighting this battle since he was six. I would love to know a little bit more about what it is that brought him brought him into the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Like he, his he has a very kind of just small character arc, I'd say, throughout the movie, where he goes from being just at the beginning this very cutthroat character, you know, doing whatever he needs to do to, in order to, and to ensure the success of the rebellion, to something a little bit more, uh, a little more open to you know pers. I don't know. I guess he's still doing a personal sacrifice for the greater good. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's different. It's a little more idealistic, I think. But he's more of the gray character. 
because he's he's right there between you know he again what he did on the planet basically getting rid of his informant will pay off at the end because it's the baggage that's with him but he is basically on the side of good and this is what he has to do he has to make sure he covers his tracks he has to make sure that he gets the information where it needs to go and he also has to follow orders which he was supposed to follow orders by killing Galen, which he didn't. Um, and that's where the gray area is with him. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I think Diego Luna has played the character very well um, because you could see, you could see how hard he started out at the beginning, but then kind of softened a bit toward the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed his character uh, a lot. Um, the one I liked the best, though, I think, is actually his uh, his partner in crime. Yep. His reprogrammed droid, K2SO. Wow, K2SO was hilarious. Wait, is it, it K2SO or K2SO? K2SO. It's K2SO, but it's pronounced K2SO. Really? K2SO. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm not sure I believe you. Yes. It's not C3PO. It's C3PO. I know. P- no, I This disagree. one is pronounced K2SO. <laughs> no, wrong. <laughs> Okay. That is not, I how, do not believe you. How about we do it this way? How about we just call it Alan Tydick, Tydick however, Tydick did an outstanding job with that character to take basically he had to wear motion capture stuff on him and act that character out basically two ways, acting the character physically on stilts and then voicing the character at the same time is just you got to give him props for that. He did a great job with that character bringing an inanimate object to life the way he did. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that I can see why a lot of people are, you know, attracted to that character because he had some great great comedic and I'm talking flatline one-liners with no infliction in his voice at all the mm-hmm. way he said some of these one-liners just outstanding. He he was consistently the funniest character very dry yes and like there was so many moments where he's like you know you know you are being rescued after like slams uh uh jen on the ground or like you know you know i find her answer vague and unconvincing or you know like constantly like he is he's hilarious Mm -hmm. pretty much everything he says is comedic gold yeah yeah uh and so he he's i really enjoyed his character quite a bit do you want uh, to know the chance that she's going to shoot you? Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's high. Well, it's, it's high. high. And, and how did you know that was me? How, no, wait a minute. How did you know that was not me? <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite ones was, uh, I think, when um, they're rescued on, when he's taking them, he's taking the, the, the prisoners to prison, basically. And he, he completely stumbles over his words. He's like a terrible liar, which is great for, for a droid. Uh, you know? I'm taking the yeah. prisoners to imprison them in prison. <laughs> it's extremely well done. Okay, Tuso, you uh, you need uh, you need help. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, I mean, it in the end. Well, it's like, sorry. So we're, I was Go gonna ahead. say since we're talking about the ending, I'll say yeah. I thought K two S O's death was probably the uh, most impactful for me. Out of all of them, you, you took probably, that right. I feel like right one of the of more brutal ones too. Yeah, you know, a lot of the other characters are blown up. They're maybe shot and they fall over. 
K2 gets shot multiple times, mm-hmm. and there's there's that shot at the very end where it's I don't even I'm not even quite sure how to describe it. It's you could almost see they go from having a digital character to maybe like a an actual model, where like you see him his arms go up to smash the console to lock mm-hmm. the door, and then it cuts to a farther view, and it's just and when he hits it and it blows up, you can almost see the life go out of him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I know I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. It was. I don't know what exactly the effect was, but it was amazingly well done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's actually telling that um, uh, it's telling that they did such a good job with the film because and the different the different characters, because I, I, there's a people I've talked to and each one has a different death that hit them the most. You know, uh, one friend was like, "Oh no, it's the it's the pilot, it's the it's Bodie Rook's death that that was uh you know that really hits me every single time." Or it's, uh, you know, or it's Chirrut, or it's uh, K two So, or or whatever. And so, um, it was uh, yeah, that kind of I think shows that they did a good job with all of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one character that stood out was Donnie Yen's character, Chinit. It. Uh, Chirrut Imway. Now, this is one that's going to be interesting. The question, I don't believe he has it, but do you guys believe that he had some kind of connection to the Force? I think he absolutely did. I do not think he did. See, I, really? I'm with, I'm with William. Debate. I don't think so. I, I, mean, I, I I'm not saying that he was a like a full-blown... Uh, force wielder. I don't think he was trained. I think mm-hmm. he was definitely sensitive to it, though. So, in the visual guide, let me pull oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, bringing your facts into this, William. Well, I, I... <laughs> no. Uh, go ahead, Tom. While, while I pull this up. Okay, because because I I'm also going to kind of argue the f- not argue the fact, but bring up if you read Catalyst, you kind of you kind of get a feeling, but I don't think it's true that, um, Oh God, I forgot. Uh, Galen's wife, um, Lara had Mm -hmm. some, or felt like, or you were made to feel that she had some kind of connection to the force because they respect for it. At the very beginning, I thought they said she was more in tune with the force than most, but she was not force sensitive. Right. But, but that's the right. thing, and that's why I think when it came to Donnie Yen's character, okay, maybe he's in tune to it, but Correct. I do not believe he had the Force. So to yeah. me, to me, that that's that's two separate things. You can you can be tuned to the Force and know that it's there, but you're not Force sensitive enough to actually use it as a Jedi. Right, and I think. Uh... And, and then the, the the visual guide does not definitively state that there's no possible way he has the force. Mm-hmm. It's as though he seemingly lacks force abilities. This warrior monk has rigorously honed his body through intense physical and mental discipline. Right. And uh, it, it talks, I can't remember if it's the novelization or if it's the visual guide. I'm trying to look for it in here. He heard, you know, because the, the, big, the biggest thing everybody points to is like, how did he know that, uh, how did he know that Jin was wearing a kyber crystal? When mm-hmm. he's first introduced. Right. Right. And the answer to that is, well, he actually can hear the vibrations of the kyber crystal. And his hearing is so good. As you see, like the, the movie shows, like it zooms in on his ear and how he's like really good at hearing. 
in that that amazing sequence where he take where he takes down the stormtroopers. Um, uh, he's so good at hearing that that's how he uh, he's able to like shoot down a Tie Fighter or uh, detect the um, uh, the 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 Kyber crystal around Jin's neck, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uh, the only weird moment I think that probably goes counter to my argument. Um, is the fact that he says, uh, you know, the dark side flows or the force flows darkly around someone who's about to kill or something to that effect. Um, right. And and that was from the shuttle where um, where right. uh, Diego Luna was going to go out and actually assassinate because that was his orders, assassinate Galen Urso on the platform. Right. So it's possible that he has like he's more like Lyra where he. He's a two, more tuned than most, but not even close to enough, strong enough to actually use the force. Now, do you think that's the possibility? He has that kind of ability that makes him better suited for the Guardians of the Wills. And he and boy, did I really blow that question. Uh, he and Baze Melbus were both Guardians of the Wills. And do you think it's because of that? Um, sensitivity in the force made him that kind of monk and have that kind of ability because of his hearing also to know that she was where uh jen was wearing the kyber crystal i mean yeah somehow i think we don't know about a lot of the guardians of the world i love the fact they included the name mm-hmm. the wills because you know that was you know, right it was you know uh, there was just well, a new hope was originally gonna be like you know from the the journal of the wills right mm-hmm. um so I love that they actually finally brought the Wills into canon and into Star Wars. Um, we don't know much about the Guardians of the Wills, though, so maybe. But uh, Stephen, you—I don't think you got—you haven't really had a chance to argue your side as much. So yeah, we'll go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead. I, no, I thought we went through most of them. Which is so. Okay. There's the Kyber Crystal scene, which is actually the one I had forgotten about. But was, there's a lot of uh, sequences where I am not convinced he could have done it just with hearing. There, I think there was too much going on for him to be able to do everything that he did. So you're pointing to when he was going from, when he went to go hit that lever on, um, um, why do I keep blanking uh, on the planet? No, I'm thinking actually more of the sequence where they attack the tank. Okay. His, his first sequence where there's a little too much precision there to be done, I think, with just hearing alone, Okay, is what I would argue. See, I would have thought it would have, be, would have been when he left the confines safety to go hit that lever because he was dodging all those blaster bolts. And that was something that if it was an actual Jedi with a lightsaber, naturally he would have been able to, if he could have seen, or in Kanan's case, Kanan can't see, pull out the lightsaber and deflect the bolts. In this case, since he was doing that walk, basically saying to himself, I am one with the Force, the Force is with me, it was that concentration of being able to walk through that field of fire of the blasters chanting that that I would have thought that you would have pointed to that and said okay because he was able to chant that he was able to channel the force through that chant at that moment to make it to that lever I don't know it's very interesting mm-hmm. and uh, I, the piece where we know he's from part of the guardians of the wills makes it even more uh, intriguing because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the wills have always had a very specific relationship with the force perhaps there is a more direct connection, which is why he was able to do what he did. Yeah, you could, you could be true. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's intentionally supposed to be a bit vague, mm-hmm. so we don't really know what's going on. Uh, 
quite but, sure. Uh, but I did really... I, I liked his character a lot. I think he was one of the, um, the the he was one of my favorite characters behind Kituso. He actually you know. had, in my opinion, one of the best one-liners when they oh, were gonna, yeah. <laughs> yes, one of the best one-liners when they were going to be taken to go to basically taken to Saw Gerrera, and Saw Gerrera's henchmen are putting you know bags over everybody's head. They put one over him, and he comes out and says, "Are you kidding? I'm blind." Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the theater so i've seen the movie six times so far and every single oh, time all? the theater has that's it <laughs> the theater has like gone berserk yeah <laughs> that line <laughs> yeah it is it is one of the best lines it other than some from k2so one of the best lines is this movie it was just it i was think just that was the best followed by everything else k2so says yeah uh and then everyone else below that uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no it was uh yeah, I, I like Chirrut a lot. Baze was less interesting to me. Uh, he was, I mean, he he's kind of Chirrut's buddy and follows along, but where I, I don't think he really had quite as much special going on. And he, he had a small yeah. arc where he goes from like not believing in in the forest to mm-hmm. at least by you know by the end, uh, you know, saying you know I want the force forces with me. Uh, but he didn't really have quite as big of an arc or is i would have loved to have known like a lot of the characters in the movie i would love to have gotten a little more backstory on like why does what what happened to chirut and bays such Mm -hmm. that their Mm -hmm. beliefs have diverged so fully Mm -hmm. like we can kind of assume it's obviously it's to do with the empire and what's happened there but i just i wish we had spent more time on that and that would have been interesting because that was one of the scenes we saw in the trailer where Baze, you hear him say, they destroyed my home. Now, you set that up in the trailer. You didn't see that in the film. But that would have been interesting to see why was that his motivation? How did they destroy his home? Who was he shooting at to get revenge at saying, you destroyed my home? Yeah. And now it would probably get go to being much more like, what are the Guardians of the Wills? What was Correct. their purpose? Now, now that I just thought of it, maybe Baze was considering in the trailer portion when he said that, his home was the destruction of Jeddah. That's quite possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think uh, that's it. Yeah. So I, I, I answered my own question. But uh, there was, wait, before we get too much farther, there was one other line I wanted to talk about uh, with Trout, where sure. he makes a comment to Jin that the heart of stars are Kyber. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought. Yeah. So my, my first reaction was that's, that's meant to be metaphorical. But we know after this movie that kyber crystals are, and after the Clone Wars as well, kyber crystals are key to giving, uh, they're the keys to great power. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's actually meant to be a, a literal statement that literally the hearts of stars are made out of kyber crystals. You know, uh, I think that's probably pretty true. I, I mean, or at least like the more powerful stars, right, The uh, are, are, are made of kyber uh, we see a lot of kyber harvesting on Jeddah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which is why the Empire has a presence there. We see a lot of. Um, we know that in the in the books, obviously, there's kyber crystals on Ilum, mm-hmm. and the Death Star is powered by kyber crystals. And and actually, if you um, if you pick up the the new book, Star Wars Galactic Maps, uh, just came out. It's a it's a fantastic book. Uh, I recommend great, checking it out. Great illustrations in this book. I love oh, yeah. this book. 
Um, and it, but if you look at it, like Star Killer, uh, look at Star, look like, look at the location of Star Killer Base. It is in the presumably now it's a different. You're obviously comparing different different maps, so maybe there's a discrepancy in the location of the planet. But it is in almost the exact location that Ilum is normally placed, and Ilum is not on the map, uh, which I makes know- me wonder. Is Starkiller Base really Illum? Or was. Was Was, Illum. yeah. I, I think that would make a lot of sense. We know the Empire is exploiting Illum in the uh, Ahsoka novel. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I, to add on to what you were saying, William, there's also another map that was released as part of Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, they have a Force Awakens RPG. Um, and it also included Starkiller Base in the exact same location as Illum. So it would, it's not an accident that it happened to be there. Interesting. <clears throat> okay. Well, I, yeah. I mean, so I, I, I was not the first one to to notice that. I someone on Twitter. I honestly don't remember who. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, it's it's very interesting that they would take Ilum and convert it into uh, Star Killer Base, especially because you know we we've. We've seen Ilum before in the books and the games and the Clone Wars even. And so it's actually kind of sad that what happens to Ilum, uh, if so it, it is indeed. It planet. would explain why Starkiller Base is where it is mm-hmm. and why it has the power that it does. Yep. Yep. But anyway, I know we're kind of uh, on a tangent there, but it's a little, it's a fun little uh, piece of information. And, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I found the whole Kyber Crystal aspect fascinating in uh in this book and i think we get we get a lot more of it in catalyst than we do in yes. rogue one itself they're kind of, it's kind of like a, an undercurrent you know where you know that in in rogue one you know that they're harvesting kyber crystals we know that Jin has uh, a kyber crystal we know that the death star is powered by kyber crystals we don't get too much more in depth on them though <clears throat> that's about all we get um, so I, I'm hoping that we, we get to learn even more at some point in the future. Well, hopefully that's cool. going to be in book form because there's, you know, we already know the sequel to this movie is episode four. So, you know, but there is a character that we have to bring up because what did you think? Oh, and, no, go ahead. Uh, sorry, before we change topics, I, I was going to mention this earlier uh, when we were talking about Baze and Chirrut, mm-hmm. but for those of you who want to learn more about their characters, there actually is a a book uh, coming out uh, in uh, on May 2nd, I believe, uh, from Disney Lucasfilm Press, uh, written by Greg Rucka, and it's called Rogue One, Bays and Chirrut. So hopefully oh, we'll get cool. some more okay, cool. details about those two characters. Okay. Anyway, so uh, Tom? Yeah, I was going to bring up, um, I would probably say another, what did you guys think of Ben Mendelsohn playing Orson Krennic? I loved him. Steven? I I also liked Orson Krennic a lot. I loved the different type of Imperial character. We've we've seen lots of the evil empire, I would say. Mm-hmm. Krennic was a I'd say like a classic from the novels at least, like an Imperial bureaucrat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have to say Ben Mendelssohn, a couple scenes where he he did his best work. Okay. Him confronting Darth Vader. That I thought was one of the most outstanding scenes. Mm-hmm. I also thought a couple scenes with him and Tarkin. Uh, 
Now, the interesting thing for me is he was able to technically play against a character that really was not there because of how they, they handled Tarkin in the movie. Um, and then the other thing I have to say, I love the opening flashback with him and, and Galen Erso. I thought he did an outstanding job at that point as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought him and Orson Krennic were great. And I have to throw this out there because this is kind of a tie-in. You guys have probably seen the meme that's out there re- involving episode four about the empty seat at the table mm-hmm. in the Death Star. Is that Krennic's? Oh, I know, I, I had not say, seen that. You've not seen that? I had not seen it. That is very, that's really cool, so, actually. Somebody, somebody actually, th- th- this, is, this was a fan theory. Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this as fan theory because I don't think anybody has actually come out and said it's a f- official from the Lucasfilm company. But the fan theory goes, if you watch the scene in episode four where Tarkin comes in with Darth Vader and they're all around the round table, there is an empty chair. Does that empty chair represent Orson mm-hmm. Krennic? That would not, that would not surprise me in the slightest. I would hope that is true because that would be very cool if that's the case. Because I, I imagine it's it's more obviously it's not something Lucas planned in 1977. Right, but, and, and, right, oh, clearly it is, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> well, because. Anyway, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm gonna drop the sequel thing now. This is the last time I'm mentioning this. Um, but I I would love to, I would love to believe that is the case. Because that's so cool if that's the case. It really is. Yeah. It really is. <clears throat> so I, it, it's there's little things like that I think that 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 make Rogue One so great. But Orson Krennic, I I love how, um, I love how he's like he's constantly trying to just reach out just just overreach right just outside mm-hmm. of his abilities and just cannot and gets beaten down by um by vader and tarkin and you know all he wants is like an audience with the emperor and for the emperor to know how well he did and like I, we talked about his character in our review of catalyst as well but i, I really enjoyed krennic and i thought mm-hmm. ben Mendelssohn did a really 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 great job portraying him oh yeah uh, in the film yeah and uh, I, I i really stand by the scene between him and darth vader and and I know people have had the I've seen some memes complaining about the one liner Darth Vader had to Krennic. Oh, are you kidding? I love that. I, line. I love that. So, line. I, I, that to me. OK, wait a minute. But before we continue, that line did not bother me at all. I don't care if people have a problem with it because it's, it's a quote unquote one liner or whatever. I am sorry. He made a point that was so, not a one liner. I so I've seen that complaint as well. And it's normally that Darth Vader is, was, that's not a Darth Vader esque line to make a one liner. Right. Except for every other one liner Vader had, such as, I don't know, apology accepted Captain Nita as yes. Nita's body <laughs> falls to the floor in front of him. Yes. I thought it was perfectly in line for Absolutely. Vader. Absolutely. I totally agree. And for those of you who don't remember, it's, um, <clears throat> it's be careful not to choke on your aspirations, which is so. I love the fact as he's punch. force oh, choking man. him. I mean, that to me is not a one-liner. That is a I am two going liner. to make a no, statement. No. That was a, a one-liner statement. with two puns. Yeah, yeah, but that was a statement by Darth Vader. That was not even a one-liner. That was a statement because right. I am force choking you, and I am making a statement. Don't be overly ambitious because you could be squashed like a bug. Well, well and, and can you believe that Krennic had the? 
uh, I'm gonna say the gumption yes. to make that request in the first place. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. So you'll you'll speak to the emperor on my behalf. <laughs> like, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> there was, maybe, was a, maybe. Oh, actually, no. Sorry. It was a, so I'm I'm still in charge then. That's what that's what the line was. Yes, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. And explain explain to me how else could Darth Vader have come back to put a guy who is you, you could say he was a little bit power hungry. Orson Krennic was power hungry. But how else could Darth Vader put a guy like that in his place and not use a force choke and make a statement, not a one-liner? Yeah, it was... Statement that was stuff. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Now, we're going to get on to another character when it comes to Saw Gerrera. I liked Forrest Whitaker. I liked the Rebel Connection. But do you think in some cases... In some cases... Did he overact to overact, or was he overacting for a reason to show that Saw Gerrera has lost it? Uh, I think it's the latter. That he was overacting to show that he lost it. Yep. I agree with yeah. you on that aspect. I totally agree with you Especially on that Especially because his, without getting into any spoilers, right. his portrayal of the character in Rebels... Is not overacted. That I totally well, we agree. Hang on, we haven't seen him in Rebels yet. I mean, he may be in in the episode coming out. No, no, no. It's 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 it's. I mean, it's out on Disney XD as we're recording this. Oh, is it? Uh, okay. I haven't seen it. Yet, it. So take it back yeah. then. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, his, his portrayal in Rebels is not overacted. No. Uh, so I think it is supposed to be just you know he's he's crazy, mm-hmm. right? He's he's absolutely crazy and. Um, Going based purely on the the visual guide, right? It it says that again, you know, it says that he's kind of. We know that he's an extremist. He's split from the the rest of the Rebel Alliance, and uh, according to the episode guide, uh, he his lungs were poisoned by Genosian poison. Uh, again, purely what the episode guide says, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, that makes me wonder, like. You know, he, we we know he's dying, and the movie he says there's not much of him left. You know, uh, so so maybe that's kind of why he's he's overreacting, uh, over over not overreacting, mm-hmm. overacting a bit. Because even some lines like "Bodhi Rook Cargo Pilot," you know, it's mm-hmm. like yeah, it's just, uh, a little over the top. Well, but, and, and also also another line uh, for me that could have been over the top was when he looks at Jin and goes, "Are you here here to yeah. kill me?" I mean. He- but but that's but that's the thing where it's like I, they were trying to set up. He's he's insane. Yeah. And, and and to me, the way Forrest Whitaker portrayed him pulled that off. And it's if somebody was overacting, like I will say this, Danny DeVito playing the Penguin in Batman. In some cases, that was flat out overacting. Okay. <laughs> in this case, I think because the character is set up to be, he's going crazy. I think in this case, he pushed it enough to not be overacting. It's just showing you the the character's crazy. The, the character knows he's at the end of his life, and he is at the point to where he is losing it. I I do wish we'd gotten a little more... I, his role in the movie feels very odd to me. Mm. Okay. I'm not sure what, what purpose he really served other than... He gets he serves as a MacGuffin for the characters that go to Jeddah, right? And also, well, I mean, yeah, he he, get, he makes he ensures that they get the plans to the 
to this to though they get the message from uh from galen right so that they know to go to scarif and they know to go to edu and that sort of thing right i suppose it for i guess maybe it's because of the amount of uh the amount of time you spend in trailers and pieces i expected Mm -hmm. him of a a different type of role in the movie Mm -hmm. me well that i totally agree with he was the way he appeared in the movie was surprising right because he he shows up we find out he's you know he takes care of jen he basically raises jen the next time we see jen she's not with him though yeah and by the time they come get back together like she's like cautious of him because he left her and with the blaster and she was 16 even though he was one of his she was one of his best soldiers yeah and he was trying to protect i wish again like a lot of the characters i wish that backstory sounded really interesting like Jin's past as a freedom fighter which doesn't come up at all except for this one scene Mm -hmm. i would have loved to have seen more of it yeah and i would love to see like more of how he deals with the the rebels and all that sort of stuff so i think it's possible who knows it's possible we might get to see some of that in uh in star wars rebels maybe uh that would be nice mm-hmm. uh because oh, there's so Jin... would Jin well, be the think... age I yeah think Jin is already so she was she she uh, he left her at 16 though which would have been uh, let's see uh, rebels takes place two years before sorry you're right. Rebels takes place two years before Rogue One. Now, uh, Jin is twenty-one. No, twenty twenty. She she was born right at the beginning of the Clone Wars. So Jin would be. So she would have already left it. She was twenty-two. Yeah. So she would have been. Yeah, she would have been on her okay. own by that point. Um, but that's not to say that I mean she couldn't appear, but I, I doubt it. Versus yeah. Uh, versus Saw Gerrera. It was interesting though. We had a, uh, I was having a discussion with some people before Rogue One came out. Uh, they did not mention any of his uh clone wars backstory in rogue one mm. which is to be expected I yeah mean, you don't want to you don't want to hit people over the head with it but um if you didn't know he was a character in the clone wars it would would not have mattered one bit and, and i think i think for his case that's probably the best for them to do because you don't want people to say well why is he referencing back into the clone wars or why because he was never in uh, he was never in Attack of the Clones, so why is he referencing the Clone Wars? This way, leaving that out, you're seeing this character for the first time. Done. Yeah, and I could see it would have been like it didn't fit. Yeah, it didn't fit context either. We would have been like, oh yeah, back when I was on Onderon with Stila, you know. Like, <laughs> and then and then I had Kanan, and you know, I all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. yeah that you know, Ahsoka train and Anakin trained me, and like yeah, it wouldn't have made any sense. So. I, I get not not going uh, too much uh, too much into detail there, but um, anyway, uh, but yeah, but, but there's a, and then I guess the last character is and before we get back into the plot is uh, Bodhi Rook, who um, he gets he's he's this guy I feel you kind of feel bad for him right because mm-hmm. he's this guy who's who defects from the Empire he tries to do the right thing right he's this, he's this pilot he. Um, with uh, Galen's uh, urging, defects. He's a transport cargo, this cargo pilot uh, flies back to his home world of Jeddah because he was from he's from Jeddah, uh, and tries to deliver this message to to Saw Gerrera, uh, so that Saw can get it to the larger rebel rebellion and they can find the plans for the Death Star and defeat the uh, Empire and yada yada yada. Um, he lands on Jeddah, and 
Sagar's people do not trust him at all. And they're like, they're torturing him and they're, you know, not listening to him at all. And he's, he's just trying to do the right thing. And you just feel bad for him. He Mm -hmm. almost loses his mind, you know, until he's, he's brought back by the rescue of the, the rebels, you know, uh, do do you guys, I, I feel like he's the character we spend the least time with, which was, I I think like second to probably Baze, but Uh, that's, yeah, I guess that's true. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say they're probably about equal. Um, they make a big play of this, like, oh, this is the like mind-eating monster. Mm-hmm. People who, yeah, sorry. People go crazy after they've been in it, and then there's like one scene where Bodhi's kind of clearly not there, and then it's never brought up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he completely like recovers and. and... Is fine, or or maybe he doesn't recover because he's still kind of weird after. But mm-hmm. we didn't see him enough before that happened to know if that's normal for him or not. I agree. I thought it was a little odd at first, uh, and my my thinking is that maybe maybe Cassian was able to um, kind of coax him back and and help him kind of restore his mind. Because mm-hmm. um, you kind of you kind of get the realization as, as in that scene in the prison where he goes like. You know, he doesn't like you know what the pilot was. He's like, I'm the pilot. I'm the pilot, right? And he, it kind of like comes back to him. So maybe that's what ended up happening. But, Potentially, uh, it that scene as a whole, it felt like Gareth Edwards, who obviously directed Godzilla, was like, I need a monster scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's the Gareth Edwards connection. Plus, every Star Wars movie does have a creepy alien scene, very briefly. But like a giant, like you know, even the Force Awakens had, you know, the the Wrath Tars. Uh, you know, a, a new hope had the um, uh, I'm completely blanking on the name in the in the trash compactor. Oh. The one I oh, uh, Dinoga, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. They, ugh, I forgot that. Uh, there, there's always like there's all, the rancor. There's always there a little creepy monster scene in, in the in the film. Um, and so uh, I guess yeah. You know, I, actually, actually, one way the the Rogue One does break traditions it doesn't have a a, a chase sequence. Um, other, most most of the Star Wars films have a chase sequence. There, actually, there's one more way I think Rogue One breaks tradition, which is probably the biggest of all. Uh-huh. I don't think anyone loses any hands or limbs. That's true. They just, everyone loses their lives. Yeah, they lost their lives. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I they... mean, when you put it that way. <laughs> What they really should have, so what they should have done is Krennic should have like been reaching up to the sky like no don't fire and then the Death Star laser like just tips his hand off or something. Jeez! Oh, <laughs> wow! Little. <laughs> wow! Dark. Oh man! It's uh, fitting for this. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> anyway. I, I think yeah I think uh, we better move on to like the other characters yep. that made their appearances in this movie. Well, some, yeah, some I, I will. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I guess the, the the last one, we'll, we'll mention the rest of the characters, I think, as, as we go along. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Darth Vader, and we talked about him a bit. Wow, he was he was used sparingly. And I think which was very movie. wise in this movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Because this movie's not about Darth Vader. It's about Tarkin. It's about Krennic mm-hmm. and a little bit of Tarkin, who I also really enjoy. We'll, we'll get to him in just a minute. Uh, but we did get to see a bit of Mustafar. We could see Darth Vader in uh, like a back to tank uh, of some sort. Uh, definitely on the creepy side. Mm-hmm. Now, here, here's a good question on this aspect. Well, why? Wait, n- wait when when it, sorry, sorry. We can come back to it. Okay. 
when it came to Darth Vader in the back to tank, why did they approach Hayden Christian to, to sit there? I know it's probably no big deal, and you really didn't get to see the actor who was there, but they at least had Jimmy Smits come back for um, for Bail Organa. What? Why not Hayden Christian? Just a little, throw him a little bit part here because we haven't heard from him in a while. I don't. I don't know if it would have added anything though. Mm-mm. It. It was still... like having him walking around in the suit. Yeah. It well, that's true. But but at least at least. There's great tie-ins. I mean, I, I really feel that when it comes to Rogue One, the best thing it did was look at the people who hated the prequels and said, you know what? Those prequels matter, period, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. And we have done enough here to show you that believe them, watch them. They're all part of the same story. And to throw Hayden Christian in there to also make that great connection to the prequels and to solidify it, you know, I know it would have been quick. I know he would have been in a back to tank, but and I know he would have been walking around in the suit. But at least throw. Well, I don't that think you would have seen him. That, that's that's the one problem. I don't think I know. Seen him. I know so yeah, I think it's I less about the it's less about the actors and more about the way in which they connect right the 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 prequels and the original trilogy and and that sort of thing and yeah, like uh, there's a ton of references to Star Wars Rebels. In the movie, oh yeah, absolutely. Which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um. You know, we we get uh, uh, there's the ghost flying around all throughout the multiple the times. Battle. In multiple times, you actually see it on Gaven Four as well, which mm-hmm. I I love the whole that that right. Uh, you got it was it was in a lot more scenes than I thought. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, there it is again. There it is again. Like it's almost, you know, like half the shots probably the space battle. And then you also um, got to hear the announcement over the PA speaker, General Sandula. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which tells us she's a general now, mm-hmm. and we know that um, it's uh, it's not it is it's not it's uh, not her father. Chancellor. It is yeah. definitely Hera, uh, which is really cool. But we don't actually see Hera, which I'm actually okay with. In fact, I'm actually glad that we saw the ghost and we saw Chopper yep. very briefly in one scene. And we heard General Sindula's name, and that's it. And I'm glad because, like, we don't actually know. Like, General Sindula, Hera could be like in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. She could be, you know, have lost all of her arms and legs, and still be, you know, rolling around. Uh, <laughs> 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 yes, William, this is, you are correct. Any of these things could have happened. Um, we just won't know because all they just did is paging General Sandula, So Right. And, yeah. and of course, Chopper can be repaired easily, uh, even if he's wiped. Uh, mm-hmm. The ghost can be repaired or rebuilt or, or something. And so we we actually get these Rebels uh, references without spoiling the show. Right. All right. Everyone on the, everyone, all of the Rebels in the in the show could be dead at this point, except for except for Hera. Uh, and, and the, the droids that can be, and well, and the, and the mechanical objects that can be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. So we get the rebels tie-ins without spoiling the show and making it like, oh, now we know they're all going to survive. There went all the, you know, all the tension. There's the all show. the mystery. Yeah. So I, I like that a lot. Now, what I hope is that we'll get an episode in a year or two that covers the Scarif battle from the other point of view or like what was what was Hera doing like what were they why were they paging her and I hope we get to see that in some form from the from their perspective so you want to kind of see that on Rebels yeah wouldn't that be amazing 
it's gonna be it... okay. I'm no? gonna get to I'm, well. I'm gonna get to the point where uh, do you have to know? I, I know I've brought this up before. I know I and, and I'll keep saying this. I know I brought it up when it came to to Boba Fett. Do we have to know some of the backstories? Yes. You know, but <laughs> I think in some cases. I would still like to be a mystery. Like, okay, I'm I'm going to take this as an example. Before we had Rogue One, you're a kid. Garth Edwards would say he was a kid playing with the stormtrooper action figures. He could make up the story himself. Okay, I want to take that aspect in some respects. I want to get my Harrison Dula action figure. I want to get my Lego Ghost, and I want to. Well, how can I put the action figure inside the Lego Ghost? I'm going to take the actual Lego Syndulla action figure and put it inside the Lego ghost and, and act out what I think is going to be the case. I want to come up with the backstory. I, I kind of, at this point, it, I, I would like to know, but I don't want to be spoon. I don't want to be spoon fed that at this point, I want to make up my own story. I yeah, I, 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 you, do, you do not want to show, tell too much, right? I, right? I agree. I agree with you there. Right. Um, but I think because it's so intentional and it was part of the script mm-hmm. and it wasn't like, it wasn't like something they threw in and just for the heck of it later on. Um, I, I have a feeling and they work so close to Dave Filoni. I have a feeling like they've got to have a bigger connection, just like how we always, and we never got to see it, but we always wanted to see the clone, uh, sorry, order 66 right through the eyes of the characters in the clone wars. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really fun to have like this be their presumably be their final battle, right? It, it could be the the series finale of of Rebels ties in so, with the Scarif battle. So let me ask you guys. First of all, uh, William, you've seen the movie the most. Does the ghost escape at the end of the battle, of Scarif? Because oh. so uh, obviously, I don't think we the, see the Devastator shows up and crushes a couple of Rebel ships. What happens to the ghost? Oh, the ghost gets hit by the devastator and just blows. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, spoiler. Because like, so I agree. I would love to see Rogue One from the perspective of Rebels. Right. I want to f- follow the entire plot of Rogue One, but in Rebels. So like, mm-hmm. there's just Hera sitting on. They're on Yavin Four. They've just come back from a mission, and Hera watches. We well, see in the back, and we see Jin and. K2SO and Cassian jump onto a U-wing, and then later on they're fighting the battle. And then I don't know, maybe maybe the episode ends as the Devastator shows up and smashes into the Ghost, and that's it. But <laughs> well, that'd be like, wow, <laughs> that was... what what a, what a downer ending for Rebels, man. <laughs> that's more the, of a the downer episode. than, than Rogue One. Here goes and they throw it down, and then Devastator shows up, it explodes, and then it fades to black, and then just Star Wars Rebels comes up, no music, immediate credits, done. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, maybe. Force ghost of Kanan and Ezra sitting there with their heads down and and head slap, going, "My God, why did it have to end this way?" (laughs) (laughs) But you could you could see them like maybe being ordered to provide escort for the Tana Four initially, or maybe they're they're, they have some sort of parallel mission where that ends them up at Scarif, where they have to go rescue and then they go do something else and then there's a final confrontation and there the show ends or something but i think that could be i'll cool. add there's no given the end of the of this movie there is no reason the ghost can't still be active mm-hmm. throughout episodes four or five and i'd argue even six potentially fair enough uh, mm-hmm. there is a massive rebel fleet in this movie that does not show up in episode four right presumably they are recuperating from everything that just happened to them. Yeah. Um, and they did lose a big chunk of the fleet, I'm sure. 
Well, they they uh, did you know at least a number of capital ships, which show up later in, because uh, like I think we see the medical forget in this movie as well, don't we? Yeah. Yes, we do. But I think, yeah, it, we I do. think it explodes. I think it it explodes. The medical forget? I don't think so. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. Way, yeah. I think so. Pretty sure. My point is, we now have a reason that there's a section of the rebel fleet that does not show up on Yavin Four, which is they just got the hell blown out of them. They can't take part in the battle, the second battle against the Death Star, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah, but. I, I that was a, I, I loved how. I mean, we we can just let's just talk about the space battle right now. Yeah, let's go just back go, go for it. Well, there's there's go more to cover. There's Jetta and there's Edu, but let's just go talk about Scarif right now. I loved the space battle, uh, and and the fact that uh, you know we have all of these classic ships and. Um, it's probably the best space battle we've had mm-hmm. in Star Wars so far. I don't know. I mean, Stephen as our resident. Nope. Ship I would disagree. Really? Okay. Episode six space battle is still better. Okay. Fair, fair enough. I would argue. Um, that being said, this one was fantastic. I was incredibly excited. The only thing that would have made it better is if there's a little more capital ship action. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The Star Destroyers and the capital ships are there, but they spend most of the battle not shooting at each other. Mm-hmm. Hey, you didn't like the little hammerhead action? That's what I was going to bring up. Fantastic. I was going to bring uh, that up. 100% on board with that. Give me more of that. <laughs> okay, but I, to, to be well, honest, I never uh, expected the hammerhead to... I expected the hammerhead to do what it did, but not the actual conclusion of the hammerhead. That's what I never expected. You know, I thought it was... Beautiful. I mean, you want to talk about one of the most gorgeous pieces of CG animation you've seen. The hammerhead taking that Star Destroyer, pushing it into the other Star Destroyer, and seeing that thing just sliced in half. Mm-hmm. And then was... fall right into the shield gate. And... Absolutely. But there was a part of me thinking at a certain point, why don't they reverse engines and get out of there? Which you know it's not going to happen because they're so wedged into it. There's no way that hammerhead's coming out. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that... And I loved how large of a role the hammerhead played it's obviously been in goat the uh in the ghost in uh rebels quite a bit i was incredibly excited to see it so much in um sorry in uh rogue one as well Mm because given that the ship comes out of uh kotor yeah i i I, I totally agree and and we what's 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 really nice is that in rebels or in rogue one we see how rebel everything that's happened in rebels matters right it's the 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 hammerhead corvettes that we had a you know, one off episode on about where they they got these ships they now show up in Rogue One we're like oh now we know how they got those uh, those hammerheads mm-hmm. um, and you know there's there's other bits and pieces too that we we see the groundwork laid in, in Rebels and and then in Rogue One it actually gets paid off so I I I really like how they they did that um, probably my favorite part of the of the space battle though. Um, well, actually, one of my favorite scenes in general, for for whatever reason, is when uh, the rebels are uh, preparing to to fly to 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 Scarif. Uh, for whatever reason, when they're they're all boarding their ships, like I find that scene so exciting. You know, you've been diverted to Scarif, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then the next shot, they're all coming out of uh, out of hyperspace, and you get the you know your traditional uh, uh, scene where all the pilots are checking in. Yeah. And including red leader and gold leader. Oh, and that is just outstanding. Is amazing. Yeah. That, I, I, I grin from ear to ear every time I see that shot of them. Yep. It's probably one of my favorite moments in the new movie yeah. that. And when, uh, our 
poor friend Red Five is. Yeah, uh, we Pork finally figured out what Red Five. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but like they 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 actually call out like, oh, this is Red Five. I'm going down, and like you see how oh now now we know why Red Five is available for Luke in mm-hmm. the next movie. Uh, but the fact that they 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 went back and they found uh, unused footage of Red and Gold Leader from A New Hope, and were able to work it into to Rogue One and kind of tie the films together is just, brilliant. Just outstanding. Unbelievably brilliant. And in fact, um, the uh, they brought back the guy who plays Gold Leader. I, don't know, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But they brought him back to record new lines for Rogue One. That's pretty impressive. That's cool. And so like, I, I, after I knew this, I, when I was watching the film again, like there's a couple scenes where you see him talking right and those are clearly from uh from a new hope and then there are other times like it'll cut to another scene he's like okay you're uh, i don't remember the exact the exact dialogue but something with effective we're uh you know we're gonna we're making our run on the shield gate and like that's all brand new dialogue that he came in and and recorded for uh for the movie there was a shot um i think it was of uh gold i think it was gold leader uh-huh. Then I, I laugh because you see the shot as uh, a side shot, and on in the background there's a gray like a gray wall, mm-hmm. and it's like I every time I see, it, I'm like, ah, oh, it's the, I can tell like this is clearly a shot. This is the Death Star model behind them, but they made it work in such a like, oh no, it doesn't look like the Death Star. That's not no, that's just the it's space the station, gate. right? It's the it's shield, shield gate, gate in the background, or it's a Star Destroyer in the background. Yeah, <clears throat> the one. It, it's amazing. I, I, it just, it makes the two movies come together well, and and yep. you can kind of tell it's old footage, right? Mm-hmm. You, there's just a little bit something off about it, but it's so perfect that I don't care. Yeah, and, and it makes me like excited when I say like, yes, that's that's gold leader, that's red leader, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, mine... it's like these are these minor characters in a New Hope that really you don't care about. When you see them in Rogue One, you're like, that's amazing. Well, the the nice thing about this is uh, my friend at work was explaining this because I I should be staying for the end of the credits but i ended up leaving um he didn't he did inform me i know i'm bad there are some movies i will stay for the end of the credits this one i needed to leave but my friend at work told me that i guess even they resurrected these actors they still gave them credit in this movie which i think is outstanding fantastic yeah i i think that is that is so beautiful they did that and and i think it's just it also helps tie the two movies together which makes it just mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, I, I agree. And and uh, you know, Admiral Radis, I, I I loved his character yep. as well. Yeah, he's, you know, he's Admiral commanding the space battle. Point five. Yeah. Um, and I loved his ship as well. And I, I think it was the, one of the visual the profundity. Guides. Was that what it was called? I never yeah. actually caught the name. Yeah, um, profundity. One of the guides did reveal as well that the ship is a Mon Calamari town center that they raised up from the ocean and turned into a, a battle station. Wow. Just like Home One was originally a passenger liner and things like that. It was a nice little touch. Yeah, I, I love all those those little details. I think the space battle is just beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, the fact sorry. that... Uh-huh. On that. So I think I talk about all the time when, we talk, when I talk about The Force Awakens is I hate Episode six, space battle. All the shots are very static, and mm-hmm, the ships move mm-hmm. within them, which make for this amazing view, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, most modern movies do a kind of like the shaky cam, where it makes it much harder to see what's going on. I love Rogue One was not perfect, 
but it was a much more steady cam than almost any movie we've gotten in the last couple of years, which mm-hmm. I was so thrilled with because it just makes it so much more enjoyable to me. Mm-hmm. The other thing I so enjoyed the other thing I enjoyed about the movie was when it came to the space battles, when you're watching the X-Wings, the X-Wings, to me, moved like they did in episode four. They were not smooth actions. They were not, you know, it, it looked like they took the same space battle and just copied it, which to mm-hmm. me, that was a great tie in. You know, it, it just it felt right. That whole space battle felt right. Like you were watching Star Wars episode four over the Death Star. Absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <clears throat> so I think uh, A plus uh, on the space battle. Um, it's just everything from the, the the pilots to the to the to the action to the fact that like you know you get some Blue Squadron manages to get down into the surface of Scarif, but mm-hmm. um, for all the good it does but, them. I, uh, yeah, uh, but then like red and gold are stuck out in space, which totally makes sense, and that's right. why you see them in A New Hope. And why you don't see Blue Squadron? Poor, poor General Merrick. He, uh, the the mustached Blue Leader, uh, ends up uh, biting it uh, mm-hmm. down oh, on the yeah. ground. So we didn't uh, really talk about the that aspect of things. One of the other things Gareth Edwards did to try and make this flow into Episode Four better is he required or asked all of the actors to grow, or I don't, maybe it was through makeup. I don't know. Um, but they had like the more classic like seventies facial mm-hmm. hair. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, which does so much to make the movie feel like it leads into episode four. It's, right, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, how much I, that I, little bit helps. It wasn't just that; it was the set design, even of Yavin Four, even of inside the command center of Yavin Four, with right behind Mon Mothma, the, the, the maps, the mm-hmm. the guys that are sitting at the consoles, the way the, the headsets, you know, the costuming, the the feel of this movie was mm-hmm. so directly out of, and I will say this because it is 2017, it felt so like 1977 all over again. The only thing that you could not really match is the film technique. But, but even then, else, they... It, it, yeah, it, it, it didn't But even it didn't then, I think the me. cameras, I think they used the same lenses, the same type of lenses that they used in for, for A New Hope. Yeah. For this, for this film. So, like, everything matched... You know, and that's that's one of the things why I think Rogue One is so good because it feels like a movie that was released in 1977, but mm-hmm. a higher quality version, right? You've got yeah. better special effects, you've got better, um, you know, things just are more well constructed, that sort of thing, right? Um, but aesthetically, it's all straight from 1977, yeah, and and so it does feel like it fits so well. And you know we've got uh, you get all the different since so you see the the rebel generals uh, we get we see them in the background uh, the ones were you know the familiar rebel mm-hmm. generals uh, we get um, uh, you know Mon Mothma who looks <laughs> I mean I'm so glad they got uh, Genevieve O'Reilly back to play Mon Mothma uh, you know after episode three Stephen you got you got something. No, I didn't. That no, I, 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 I was, I, I was gonna, yeah. I thought bringing her in to play him on Mothma, it's, it's almost like deja vu. Okay, yes, she, she, she was perfect she, she looked for the so role. So much like Carolyn Blakiston. So much like her, and even the acting, the way she held herself, the way she had the, the um, aristocratic feel to her 
the same as the original actress from episode four. Mm -hmm. Everything carried on perfectly. And to bring in Bail or to bring in Jamie Smits to tie that into Bail Organa, even though he was, let's say, earlier or whenever in the timeline, it still felt natural to see him playing against this character from episode four. Mm -hmm. Everything and I love how it felt right. I love how one moment Jimmy uh, Bailey and Jimmy Smith said uh, something like, um, uh, "What was he? It, near near the closer to the end of the movie, Mon Mothma suggests that she, he go get mm-hmm. uh, he go get Obi Wan." Yeah, and he says, "You know, he says he served he served me well during the Clone Wars," which is an ex- exactly what Obi Wan says. Sorry, what what uh, what? Yeah, what? Sorry, what Leia says in her transmission to Obi Wan years ago: "You served my father in the Clone Wars." Uh, and, and so like, it, I just like how they, they tie it all together. And he's like, Oh, I would trust her with my life. Obviously referencing Leia. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Little things like that. Look, can we, uh, can, can we rat hole onto this subject for a minute though? Go ahead. Okay. None of that made sense. Sorry. So that part of it made perfect sense to me. I was very not happy with how this ties into episode four at the end. Or just say, I should say I'm very confused. Okay, I think I so know where you're going. So the with rebel this. fleet has left yes. at this point, and then he makes this comment about, okay, I'll contact Leia and have her do this. Great. We get a shot later of R2 and C3PO on Yavin 4 after the rebel fleet has left. Talk about, oh, I wonder where they're all going. Or as the rebel fleet is leaving, I guess, implying that they're not going. Mm-hmm. Which, by the uh, way, I loved. Well, yeah, I. They no, said I, they see, never... I see where you're going. Okay, I'll, I'll let you finish. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I love the R2 and 3PO were actually in the movie. So they I did, it, yeah, speak. so I did as well. They mm-hmm. have to be in every Star Wars movie, so it's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then at the end of the battle, the Tanada 4 is somehow on Radis' ship. I could believe it was docked, but that makes Bail Organa's comment weird. Because he makes it sound like she's, like, Leia should not be at Scarif. She should be mm-hmm. anywhere but Scarif. Um, and how did R2 and C3PO get on the Tanada 4? And it it does play a little bit oddly into episode four where it's now very clear that the Tandit four is not on some diplomatic mission. Vader is got to be thinking like, no, I like five minutes ago over that. Like I saw you, you didn't receive a transmission. I watched the guy walk the damn card onto the ship. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it felt like they tried to tie that a little too hard to me and it felt odd to me as, as a result. Okay, um, I had the exact same concerns at first. This is I was talking to a lot of people about this because I was like, I did, but you know, yes, uh, Leia's on the ship. Wait, why? Okay, why would Bail Organa send Leia to Scarif? Mm-hmm. What he should have done is said, "Hey, Leia, you go to Tatooine, pick up Obi Wan. The Rebellion, you guys go to Scarif and get the plans. Yep. We'll meet back here on Gaven Four or Alderaan or wherever they want to meet." Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually pretty insane really for leia who's using her diplomatic cover to still work in the senate um to go to scarif where there is a major space battle where the only thing on the planet is a imperial facility where they keep the death star plants basically and plans for uh, leia has no building. business leia has no business going there let alone being on the ship mm-hmm. uh, you bring up a good point that the that the in theory the profundity is probably leading the charge to scarif so yeah. they probably would have been one of the ships that were first. My my assumption was, oh, okay, but you know, we're seeing the ships take off, and R two three PO were like, why mm-hmm. don't they ever tell us, you know, what's going on? So I, uh, I actually, 
the fact the tangent four being with the profundity is I find that weird. That doesn't break it for me. The mm. one that breaks it for me is that R two and C three PO clearly aren't don't seem to be going ship. with that. Right. Well, I exactly. can see. I but yeah, but that's like maybe the first set, right? And then immediately after that scene, they board a ship, and they get on tangent four. I wish they had had that part of the sequence then. Because right. with not having that makes it feel like they missed something, <laughs> to me at least. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually can see that. I, that part didn't bother me, really. But when you now that you mention, like, I can, I can totally see that. Um, but the part that was weird, which is what you said, was okay. So the Tana Four um, has the plans, uh, and Vader. So I don't really want to. <clears throat> Let's, 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 I'll pause this just for a second Spoil and let's, let's talk about the scene first and then we'll go back to the, the, the concerns. Okay. Um, <clears throat> because, wow, that ending, mm-hmm. amazing. I, oh, I get absolutely. chills every time I watch it, right? Yep. It, ignoring all of our the other complaints right now, the the fact that, and, and we'll, we'll go talk about this, the, the ground battle and the rest of the film in, in just a minute because uh, I know we skipped over a lot. But um, Jin transmits, finally, the plans from the from the facility on Scarif to the profundity all right to to the rebel fleet mm-hmm. and i love how you know and as soon as they 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 get the plans you actually see the same animation uh that you do in in the new hope with, with of the plans and that sort of thing like they, they tied it in so perfectly and uh, you see this uh rebel officer grabbing downloading the plans to a chip and by the way the um when when Jin steals the plans from the facility, it's on a giant data data tape. It's a huge which hard is perfect drive. Because remember, in A New Hope, you know, it's on a data. The tape. line is, you know, you know, uh, <clears throat> you, you, it's not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes or giving you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fortress. Right? It was on data tapes, but then later on, it's like a little chip. Mm-hmm. So I love how Gareth Edwards managed to work in the fact that yes, it was on a data tape. It was then transmitted to the ship. Several transmissions were deemed were beamed to the ship by rebel spies, right? A rebel spy, Cassian and 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 Jin, uh, but Cassian's the real spy, I guess. Transmit plans on a data tape to a rebel ship, uh, and then it gets downloaded onto a chip, like we see Leia insert into R two, mm-hmm. uh, just a few hours later, right? More minutes later, and then the rebel officer runs it onto the Tanta 4 and you know the door is not opening and then the lights go out and then Vader's lightsaber appears in the darkness and this is like so perfect Mm -hmm. unbelievable I get chills every time I watch this this scene and Vader just goes to town on these rebels destroying them like Mm -hmm. I missed the first time there's one moment where like Vader lifts a rebel uh, up onto the ceiling and then slices him in half as he walks under him yeah you know or he like pulls all the blasters toward like this is Vader at his most terrifying Mm -hmm. oh yeah which it is unbelievable Tom which adds more weight to the beginning of episode four when he comes walking on to the tentative four Right, and now you know why he's so upset, right? Yep. He he's he's not just like Vader. He, it's not just Vader. He's he's you know, he's always angry. He has a reason for being upset, mm-hmm. and and so like the fact that he's like take it, take it, tried to get it through the door, and eventually, you know, he throws it in there. Another rebel officer picks it up, runs to the door, hits the you know uh, the basically the eject button right to, to detach the tent of four from the uh, the profundity, 
just in time as you know as Vader almost hits the door, uh, approaches the door, and then the Tanafor flies off. Like, that whole sequence is like perfect. Mm-hmm. It is I, I, I fantastically love, well done. It is. I love it. I love it so much. And like the music, the the everything is, well, the is tension. Great. I mean, the tension in that scene—you're on the edge of your seat, yes, the whole time. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and like, oh man. Anyway, I, I can't rave about how much I, I love this scene enough. And I think um, I think the way that they used Vader in this movie, because it was so sparingly, uh-huh. added to the tension at the end. Oh if yeah, was, and, and, and yeah, if he was if he was used more as a character within the movie. You'd still have that tension, but I think it would have kind of lessened it a bit. But because he was so sparingly used, it really, really made the ending just so much, so much better. It, it is. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I know I'm gushing about this 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 sequence here. It's just so good. Uh, and fun fact: uh, the rebel officer who you know detaches the Tana Four from the the profundity is actually played by Gareth Edwards. That's his one thing oh. in the oh, movie. Nice. That's clever. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to tell it's him. Uh, I when I watched it again last night, I, I was looking for him and I could kind of sort of see it, but you don't really see his face very well. Um, but anyway, it, it, that that whole sequence is 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 perfect mm-hmm. and could not be better. And then of course, you know, this is now minutes before A New Hope, right? Because the the well, tentacle... yeah, I I still so, uh, someone I I wasn't sure how long, but actually someone did say. Uh, who was it? Was it Gareth Edwards or, or Gary Witter or someone who either wrote or directed the movie um, uh, mentioned that A New Hope takes place minutes later. And they use the word minutes. So I'm assuming like they get into hyperspace, they jump out of hyperspace, and now they're over, Tandem, or over Tatooine. Oh, uh, that doesn't by this that. point... Uh, uh, so I saw someone using the original uh, map from the Essential Atlas talked about if you just because that map has light years we know about how fast hyperdrives are and they did the math that it tanned to four sorry tanned to four uh getting from scarif to tatooine is like eight hours of travel and i actually expected to take longer because that's a direct line trip and most travel in the star wars galaxy takes place along hyperspace routes minutes i do not like that is Mm. a little fast in my mind but uh uh, maybe they (laughs) sorry maybe it actually is hours they were just trying to make a point yes, of how close it is. is. 1,000. Uh, yes, uh, exactly. Or, I'm, I'm sorry. I just... Or, as we know in Star Wars, the travel time is fluid. There's a lot of times where they're yes. like, you know, That's things should take a minute and it takes them three weeks or it takes them, you know, out, uh, or they, they do something in, you know, 10 minutes that should have taken them hours. I, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to have snickered there, but I just remembered a line from Wrath of Khan <laughs> where you had Spock sit there and tell Kirk, it's like, if you're going by the book, then hours can be turned into days. So, yeah. So I, I, I sorry, tangent there for a different science fiction. Uh, um, totally um, fine. Yeah, but that just um, came into my head. Um, uh, on the other hand, it does explain why Vader is so angry when he gets a hold of Antilles because it's like, like no, I just saw you ten minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't don't try and sell this to yeah, me, don't, please. Just don't. And, and, and Any do, story would be better. Than and I this totally agree with you, Stephen, because because my big concern was okay, you know, uh, so th- this all happens, right? Leia and the Tana Four escape with the plans. Vader watches them fly off. He was like almost about ready to board the Tana Four when they escape, and so Vader hops on a ship and, and pursues them. Mm-hmm. Q hours slash minutes later, 
uh, the beginning of a new hope uh, over Tatooine. Uh, and my, my, my major, my big complaint after I saw the movie was, okay, well, you know, Leia is saying, I, uh, I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. Like, who would believe that she's on a diplomatic right. mission to Alderaan when she's over Tatooine, having just left Scarif, the site of a massive space battle where uh, they only had the plans of the Death Star. And Vader saw her ship leave. He didn't see her. Maybe she joined Maybe the she... Tanifor right. uh, a little bit later. Right. Uh, and Leia even says, you know, my ship has fallen under attack. And I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed in, in her message. Why was she at Scarif then? Like, go to Tatooine. Uh, so there's like some there's some odd moments like that. She shouldn't have been at Scarif in the first place. And even if she was, why does she pretend? Why does she lie to Vader's face? And so initially I was kind of like, this doesn't make any sense. But then I thought about it. I'm like, OK, well. Leia knows she's lying. Vader knows she's lying, mm-hmm. right? And yet, there she's still lying straight to Vader's face, knowing that she, he she knows she, she knows that he knows she's lying. Okay, now here here's another thing. Since you're talking and that's lying, just, that that takes a lot of guts, and it actually makes the scene kind of more interesting in some ways. Okay, she knows he's not going to believe his story, her story, but she mm-hmm. still says anything. Tom, okay, think? yeah, because I I'm actually we we we've discussed. The space battle, but I'm going to back us up a bit because I'm going to I'm going to tangent off your thing where it comes to be lying. You're saying how she's lying. Well, there's a line where Galen Urso tells Jen that he got very good at lying to Krennic because he put the flaw in the Death Star, and mm-hmm. over all that time he was working on the Death Star, he was able to come up with lies to tell Krennic what he wanted. So lying, it appears, is kind of a norm here within Star Wars. To kind of hide the actual truth. I, since you're talking about it, I really liked. That was one of the probably better character arcs I thought in Rogue One. At the beginning of the movie, uh, Galen tells Krennic, "Oh no, Lyra, yeah, she died." And he's right. like, "Oh yes, that's very sad." And then, right. you know, of course, she shows up two minutes later. He's like, "Oh, Lyra, back from the dead! How amazing!" Yep, you're an inspired um, scientist for the terrible Lyra. Yes, um, and I love the scene where he's like, "I did the one thing no one expected me to do." I learned how to lie. Yes. I did, like, I let Krennic, I played the part of being beaten. I let Krennic think, Krennic think that, I, like, this was all I had left. Mm-hmm. I did this for you. Fantastic sequence. Yes. And then because of all that, we now have, and everybody joked about it, goes so far as in uh, Family Guy jokes about it, Robot Chicken jokes about, uh, jokes about it, but now we know why there is this design flaw within the Death Star, mm-hmm. which is beautiful because it's the actual how – did, how did Jen put it? I know it's a fatal flaw, but there, it's – did she say – did she call it a kill switch or something? Or am I throwing the word out there? But I don't remember what the exact word was. Yeah, I can't remember it, but it's like, it's like beautiful that ties into all this. And, and I, I'm trying to get away from the, the space battle because we did that so much, but we're, we're forgetting the whole thing about the Death Star, about how that one little itty-bitty exhaust port was the one thing that will just destroy the station. I love that they did that, too. Yes. The, the, that it was all <clears throat> it was all planned by Krennic. Because uh, so, over the last 40 years, people have always been like, how did the Empire forget about this little exhaust port and more recently there was a video i don't know where it was from but it was um 
there was like a, it was like a, it was a joke, right? Uh, a parody of like the Death Star designer saying, "Well, if I'd known that there were gonna be Force users left in the galaxy and that they could take a ninety degree turn down a you know two meter wide <laughs> port, then maybe I would have covered it up or something like that." You know, <laughs> sorry, nobody told me. Um, and they've always tried to make excuses, but the fact that uh, this was all done by Galen intentionally so that mm-hmm. the rebels could defeat it just makes everything work so well in a new hope. It like fixes that minor plot hole, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the novelization actually goes into detail about how he accomplished this and how he like, he was, he, he made some sort of, um, <clears throat> some sort of comment on, uh, he's like, Oh, well, we need to, the death star is going to be too hot. And I, it's not quite clear if he made it, overheat slightly or not so that he would need this exhaust port, but then he gives a bunch of options and actually uh, recommends against the exhaust port saying it's going to be uh, less effective or something or, or uh, he didn't use the word dangerous, but you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good idea to use an exhaust port, but mentions that it's actually the cheapest route. And you know, some, uh, uh, and then the bean, the counter. bean counters are we're like, well, you know, uh, it's the cheapest option. So go build that one. And that's how he manages to slip in the flaw and nobody notices that he added the flaw. So it was a total Uh, reverse psychology. Yeah, exactly. He pulled reverse psychology in everyone. I'm going to have to read this this book then. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Okay. Um, And so uh, it's, that, that part's told in, uh, uh, every once in a while there's like these interludes of sorts from, Mm. um, kind of talking about, uh, this, the this it sometimes like from like a memo from Mon Mothma or or whatever and this one happens to be I think a memo from from Galen on how he he did this or some of the options he's giving uh, uh, people on how, on how to build this this exhaust port but uh, it's 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 a great it's a great idea anyway um, well I, I, I liked how they answered it and and I was also going to bring up when when they actually keeping going with the topic of the Death Star, when they're actually testing out the Death Star, why is it when they destroyed Jeddah, they actually hit the city of Jeddah to destroy it, but when they went to Scarif, it looked like it was miles away. And the thing that I found fascinating was when it when both both cities or both planets were those areas were destroyed, just to see the power of it to pull up the ground into like this huge mushroom cloud and just see it roll away from the shock wave. Just the, the animation, the effects of that were just beautifully done. So, but why do you think Mm -hmm. that when it came to Scarif, they decided to miss it instead of completely hit the city? Not, yeah, Scarif. They did it to Jeddah. I don't know. It is, uh, a question I cannot actually answer for you. <laughs> so, so my my theory uh, okay. in the case of Jeddah City, uh, they wanted to uh, they wanted to actually destroy the city itself, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, they wanted to get rid of everyone. They didn't care about preserving the city, that sort of thing. I think in the case of Scarif, <clears throat> we don't actually. So in Jeddah, we see like the ground come up, rise out of the uh, out of the planet, mm-hmm. and um, almost uh, almost got the U wing with the rebels on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, there's a that beautiful shot as it like pans up into space. Yeah, and actually, so many beautiful shots in this film across the board. But when the Death Star is firing, especially, and 
you know, the uh, uh, the the camera pans up from the from you know Jeddah, and there's like this this debris and cloud going up into space, up and up and up through the atmosphere into space, and then it pans up, and then you see the Death Star sitting at the top. It's just an amazing shot. Um, in the words of Kranich, oh, it's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> which is actually a great evil moment of Krennic too. Oh yeah, talking about how beautiful the destruction of the city was. Um, but I think he intentionally. So uh, I think Tarkin intentionally fires past um, the facility on Scarif, mm-hmm. so that the, he would create a tidal wave that would kill everyone, mm-hmm. but, but maybe it not damage the buildings, the data as much. Part of me wonders, like, hmm, I'm you know, sure it, those buildings are destroyed, though. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think I think there's a massive damage, but I wonder if they're not like, you know, it's basically like uh, the radiation almost would, would kill everybody in the, mm-hmm. the in the in the um, uh, and maybe like a tidal wave, but not hmm. completely destroy everything. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, just speculating here. Okay, then if you're speculating, that's what he was planning on. Why would you think they'd go, they'd want to go back to Scarab if they didn't want to destroy the city, because the shield now that protected the planet. Is completely gone. Maybe they wanted to recover something. They wanted to stop the transmission. Oh, the other the other option is right. Uh, I mean, and to be fair, they did destroy the that exactly. Out. So maybe maybe they were actually targeting the dish itself, and they didn't care about having the laser hit the the city. Got they just want to have the laser hit the dish, got destroy it, got the it, got dish, it. okay, and then the city would be destroyed Collateral by damage. The, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. Uh, so just a I don't know a couple couple ideas there. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, to your, to your point, Tom, I, I really enjoyed that, that whole, how, how they introduced the, the flaw in the Death Star mm-hmm. and, yeah. and how they use the Death Star. And we know in A New Hope, Alderaan's the first planet they destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they can't destroy anything else, which is why they use a single reactor, uh, ignition. Single or, ignition reactor? Yeah. Sorry. Ign- single ignition, uh, shot basically, uh, in Rogue One, they do that twice because mm-hmm. uh, you you, ha- you can't have a, a movie about the Death Star without the Death Star firing. Right, and and I have to say, for being the guy who saw the original, how they were able to recreate the starting of the uh, Death Star to where they were getting ready to fire the main gun, just like the sound effects, the buttons, the Death Star gunners, the guys on the ledge. Especially when there is no railing, which is another thing from Robot Chicken about there's no railing or whichever (laughs) one. But they're sitting there and they're covering their eyes. And then, as I like to joke back in 77 when I saw it, there was a company that used to do um, audio switchboards or uh, TV switchboards that was called Grass Valley. And this reminded me when they pulled that lever, it looked like the old Grass Valley switcher where they're just pulling the lever down. Um, I loved how they were able to recreate that within the Death Star and just bring that all full circle and tie everything together. So, you know. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. So let's uh, let's let's come back to the discussion about Scarif uh, in a little bit because there's, there's still lots more to talk about. But let's let's jump back a bit earlier in the movie and talk about uh, uh, Jedi. Because we didn't really finish the discussion. We, we talked briefly about uh, 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 about Saw Gerrera, but we didn't actually talk about what happens on, on Jeddah at all. So uh, the heroes go to Jeddah to uh, to find uh, the pilot, right, and, and Saw Gerrera. 
And the whole the whole point being that the rebels think that Jin can get uh, them into to a meeting with with Saw. And so they walk around Jeddah City, and there's some some great moments, and there's a a big uh, a fight in the in the the city uh, alleys and that sort of thing. Um, and it all ends up with them being captured uh, by Sagrar's forces. And I think that the the moment we talked about the moment with uh, uh, with Chirrut as he fights off all the stormtroopers is just really really great. And I like a lot of the he he actually has some humor in there as well when um, uh, what was it was it did he he break the guys. He broke the guy's leg or something. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, thinking about this. Oh, does that hurt? Or do, do, do yeah, yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, which is which is really nice. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And then, um, uh, and then they end up going to to uh, Sagar's base, uh, a little bit outside the city, and, and that's where they meet. They they rescue the pilot and um, and talk to Saw, and it's actually surprising that he thought. Jin was coming there to kill him, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, I really, eventually, he shows her the the transmission from her father, and I actually enjoyed that scene a lot. Uh, and it's the first time you hear the the name, the Death Star. You know, they call it the Death Star. Uh, there's no better name. Uh, it, it's just I, I really enjoyed a lot of the the, the little moments there. Uh, now the other course, thing, well, not, not to jump around, but there's one thing. Well, I'm just going to say it. We all talked about this when it came to Rogue One. That when it got to the end, they all had to die. And in this yeah, movie, uh, in this movie, we literally saw that we all had. They they all each one had. You would almost say a specific death, but in the end, again. No one survived. Right. Which totally makes sense because you never see them in New Hope. Yeah, you know what? I I know we were going back and forth. Oh, they we kind of yeah, thought we're they going had, everywhere. I'm actually, sorry. I didn't actually think they were going to kill them off. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think so at all. Uh, really? I mean, that's I, I. Part of me did right because like we don't see them anywhere else. But at the same time, um, would they really go that far? Well, I think All they right. had to because they were never in episode four. And, and I I could have seen some of them escaping, though. Potentially. Right. Maybe what not are... Jen, maybe not Cassian, but some of the other characters I could have I could have argued that maybe they should have survived. Right. But in in Rogue One, literally every single character dies. Sagara dies. When the, uh, well, when the Death Star bl- blows up, up. Yeah. Uh, you know, blows up Jeddah City, uh, it, uh, Galen Urso dies on Edu. Uh, we actually didn't talk about the mission to Edu mm-hmm. uh, at all. Um, that yeah, I'll have know, to go back to that one because that was yeah. another pretty good uh, fight scene as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll turn that in just a minute. Uh, then um, you know we get to uh, Scarif, and there's this fantastic fantastic ground battle as well which just it feels a lot like you know the battle in the pacific and uh, like a world war ii movie 
And this is where that whole World War II vibe that we were talking about before Rogue One came out comes mm. into play. Uh, with the, you know, the AT, ACTs, and uh, it, it actually has a it looks a lot like Return of the Jedi in many ways, but it's set on a tropical world. Man, it's, it's Scarif. Beautiful. Um, so we get this this great this great battle, and everyone kind of gets their little hero moments, right? Uh, Cassian and Jin have to go steal the plans and kind of jump over onto this giant data vault uh, to pull out the tape drive themselves. Uh, K2SO gets to defend uh, them outside of the vaults, and as as we mentioned earlier, he he dies in a very tragic tragic way, um, and he's kind of the the first death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this, yeah, he is. In this, um, yeah, and he's kind of the first indication, like, oh, that's really sad. But he's the droid. I guess it's okay. And then things start going really wrong for everyone else, right? And I, I, I did love the little moment where how I love how they they tried to make ten men feel like a hundred, and you know you could see explosions all over the map and Krennic's freaking out, thinking there's you know you know a huge an entire army. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah, great. And Bodhi, Bodhi has his little hero, kind of two hero moments. Where one, he's he's on there. He has this great idea to call in fake reports from other uh, landing pads, uh, so that the Empire thinks they're you know they're they're all over the place. They're all over the place, and they're they're really not, uh, which was nice. And then there's they realize that once the Rebel fleet comes, and uh, can we talk for a moment how how much the rebellion has kind of messed things up in this movie? <laughs> they attack Edu too early. They then refused to go to Scarif when they had the opportunity. And uh, when uh, they realized they're actually rebels on Scarif, they go to Scarif and end up blocking the heroes on the planet. Great job, Rebellion. Yeah, nice going. <laughs> they, they tried, though, right? That's what's important. Participation they trophy. They tried. They tried. Participation trophy. Yeah. But because of it, they, they couldn't get a transmission off the planet. Uh and because the shield gate was closed. And, and so Bodhi had to get a message up to the profundity so they could destroy the shield gate so that they could transmit the plans uh, from the, the giant dish on the top of the Scarif facility. And so Bodhi has to kind of like run into the middle of the battle with this giant cable and connect everything up. And there's I thought a, that was kind of silly, just... For the record, but. it is a little silly. You're you're totally right. For, for honestly, the record, there's, there's but, a but lot it of set like, up something, that, right? And there's yeah. a lot of hoops that everyone had to jump through. It's a little right. silly, but like it, it wasn't so silly that it uh, caused a problem for me with the movie. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, you know, like there's a there's a there's a, a cable and then a switch so we can tell the rebel fleet to, to open up this gate so we can transmit the plans. Like it was very convoluted and complex. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, but Bodhi gets his little moment and he. Uh, he he manages to uh, uh, to open up the he manages to sorry to connect the the cables together so his ship is plugged into the transmission system uh, on the planet and then uh, Chirrut and Baze then have to flip a switch mm-hmm. right and you get uh, Chirrut's hero moment where he walks through this rebel. F- blaster fire uh, unscathed and manages to flip this switch so Bodhi can make the call up to General Radis and tell him to use the, to destroy the shield gate and so it's a very convoluted process but then once all that happens everyone dies 
and very quick within the span of like five minutes right everyone dies yeah <laughs> but but again I, I still stand by they i could see maybe let's say bodhi lives i could see maybe uh uh in lives but in my opinion they all had to die the only ones that came out of this mission had to be darth vader and leia yeah, and no, exactly. the Tantive and Four. some of the and some of the rebel pilots. And yeah, stuff, and, but... and okay, and some of the rebel pilots. Uh, well, basically, you're looking at on the planet. Okay, right. Abs- on the abs- planet, ever nobody could survive. Right, nobody on the planet survives at all. Okay, they. And they it, it was they a suicide. To... Yeah, they, yeah. We they knew that going in. Yeah, and they knew that going in because as as I tried to allude to earlier when it came to Cassian, when Jin was trying to push like crazy to go attack Scarif, it was. Uh, God, I just said it was. It was. Why am I blanking on this? Um, I hate this. Sorry, Cat. Ca- uh, thank you. It was Cassian, right? right. It, yeah. it, it was Cassian who was able to get the troops together to say, "We believe in you, and we're doing mm-hmm. this because we have done stuff in the rebellion that we don't feel right for." Okay, mm-hmm. and it seems like it was their opportunity to get peace of mind. And to set the record themselves straight. Themselves yeah. Ways. Yeah. And they knew this was a suicide mission going into it. But this was a way for them to to deal with what they had to deal with in a positive way, I guess, to go do this because they believed this had to be done regardless of what was said by Mamothma and the council. This had to be done to stop the Death Star. We have mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's exactly what it is. And yeah. so, and everyone, everyone had to die. It was a suicide mission. And, yep. and very quickly we realized that grenades <laughs> and or die. explosions, they're going to die. And grenades yeah. and or explosions are probably the most dangerous thing for these heroes. And kind uh, of messy Because none of them really die by a blaster bolt. Well, no. like only, only Bayes, well, even Bayes doesn't die by a blaster bolt. Um, none of them really die by a blaster bolt. Well, K2 grenades. does. Yeah, K2 Sorry, K2 does. K2, yeah. K2 so. Sorry, you're right, K2 so. Critic rest, almost did. Almost. Uh, right. The rest of them all are killed by either the Death Star, uh, which is actually, it's so great that Krennic was, uh, he, he has his brief final showdown with Jin at the top of the tower and Cassian comes out of nowhere. Where we think he's he's been killed and, uh, and and takes down Krennic. And then they, you know, they go back down to the, to the bottom and, and Krennic actually looks up into the sky as the Death Star is firing and sees the thing that he built fire and kill him and it's like such a almost a sad moment for his character right that the the thing he built was his undoing Mm -hmm. one thing that i did like was when krennic is actually facing Jin, and he just goes who are you (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like it, it, it was the way he delivered the line was almost like you are this gnat that has been annoying me this whole film who are you I thought that was perfect. I thought, it, yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Mm. Oh, really totally, did. totally, totally agree. Uh, and then that's when Jin gets like her, her her little moment to talk about, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the daughter of Gale, Galen and Lyra, and you're a, it's over for you, uh, which is a little bit uh, melodramatic, like, a little bit almost like your classic villain, like, oh, here's my evil plan, and then she's like, oh no, uh, I've got you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Bit, I mean, in fairness, she does try and convince him that she sent the plan out, plans out before, before they ever she actually it. hit the plans out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, 
but no, it, it, but you're right. Everyone had to die. Mm-hmm. And they all die very quickly. Probably within the space of five minutes, we get, uh, you know, Chir- after Chirrut's hero moment, all of a sudden a grenade rolls right next to him and he blows up uh, and he dies in Baze's arms. And then Baze goes on a rampage, kills all the 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 death troopers, uh, which are very cool, by the way. We actually didn't talk about the death troopers at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they look very cool. They didn't weren't nearly as uh, impressive in battles. I was hoping they would be. Though. Yeah, no, but they have like a cool like. Uh, when they talked to it was all like scrambled and yeah. garbled. It was interesting. Yeah. Uh, but Baze takes out all the death troopers and uh, and then the last one, as he dies, drops a grenade, which kills Baze. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> kind of I think Bodhi's, is, Bodhi's death might be one of my favorites because he's just like, okay, I got the I got the message through. Awesome. And then a stormtrooper just like walks by and throws a grenade and he's like, oh. Yeah. It's like, oh, really? Oh. And he dies. And actually, in the novelization, it talks about how his last thought was actually about how he was going to take the ship and go and rescue everyone from the tower. Mm-hmm. That's that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. He, he, huh? I said that's too bad because that did not happen. No, no. Instead, he, he blows up. And, you know, and then, of course, Cassian and Jin, they make it down from the top of the tower after having transmitted the plans. And they just kind of sit on the beach together. And watch as the explosion envelops them. Um, it's kind of kind of sad, and yet like the the scene is sh- so well done. And I'm glad that there's like a, a brief moment where you wonder like while they're in the the elevator coming down and they're sitting on the beach, like are they gonna try to do a you know uh, have a little moment between the two of them? And thankfully they they didn't um, because I think I, it, it. I'd even say they did, but they didn't make it. Uh, bigger than it needed to be. Well, I think it was it was two people who had just survived this, you know, had, had accomplished their mission mm-hmm. and were, you know, about to die. It, I think it was more like that than any sort of like romance between the two. Yeah, I think I think they came to the yeah. realization they were going to face the death together. They they right. completed they completed. And they kind of were able to comfort to. each other, yep. but without. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's good because they didn't like they don't you don't need. Necessarily, they didn't need that subplot. Yeah, you didn't need didn't the kiss. There. You didn't need the kiss. You didn't need anything like that. I, I totally right. agree. Yeah. Um, but then you know you see them, the the explosion enveloped them as you get this beautiful music uh, from Michael Giacchino, um, which we also didn't talk about at all. God, there's uh, so much in this movie. We could go on for four hours. We, about we, this movie. we could. We're we're getting, we're getting close. We're almost yeah. done. But um. Any thoughts on the on on the the soundtrack? So, <laughs> I'm gonna quick tangent for a moment. I'll, I'll Go bring ahead. it back in a sec. Did either of you guys watch a video that came out uh, a couple months ago about soundtracks in Marvel movies? No, no, I did not. So that someone put a video together talking about why you know if you ask anyone what's the theme to Star Wars, what's the theme to Jurassic Park, you know. Mm-hmm. If you ask like what was the m- music in any Marvel movie, no one has any idea. Right. And what they talk about is how a lot of Marvel movies use uh, almost like temp soundtracks mm-hmm. as their final scores. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I was very glad about, Star Wars, despite not having the score done by John Williams, did not have that sort of temp soundtrack sort of feel. The music was still memorable, mm-hmm. um, and it still felt mostly Star Wars-ish. That being said, it was not John Williams. And there were a number of moments where that was very, very obvious to me. Not that that was a bad thing, just that it it was not John Williams. Yeah. Tom, <sighs> to be honest, I, I kind of take it as, you know what? 
I really did not pay attention to the music. And I guess that may be saying enough to where I agree with Stephen. It wasn't John Williams. I have no problem with Michael Giacchino. I think he's an outstanding uh, musical conductor, writer, all that other kind of stuff when it comes to the musical aspects of scoring films. Mm-hmm. I'm, I really don't think this one's memorable. I understand, Stephen, where you're coming from when it comes to people saying about the Marvel thing. I, I wish I would have seen that. I, I just... I agree. I mean, there was nothing memorable in this soundtrack for me to grab on to. It's not like Leia's theme from Star Wars. It's not like the Imperial March to where you know those when you hear them from the first couple notes. This is from Star Wars. This one is just, mm-hmm. there was music there. Yeah. So I, so I think my, my the way I... Um... The way I see it, because I actually, I mean, I agree with you. I enjoyed the soundtrack. And actually, mm-hmm. I've been listening to it almost nonstop since the movie came out. Uh, that doesn't um, surprise me. Because uh, I, I, I love film soundtracks, especially Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it reaches the same highs as John Williams. That being said, I think Michael Giacchino did a fantastic job, especially due to the fact he wrote the music in four weeks. Yeah, yeah four that's, weeks. That's, that's yeah, what was Four hard. weeks to do yeah. the soundtrack. That's crazy. Yeah, that's insane. Which is unbelievable what he was able to accomplish. And there are some pieces like I think there, there's like uh, there, there's like basically two or three main themes, right? There's Jen's theme. There's the um, uh, the, the, the the Will's theme, uh, what it's called in the soundtrack. And then there's the uh, the, the theme for the, the Imperials. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, for the most part, like it was. It was really good. When I first heard the music, I was a little bit underwhelmed. Like they released a video on YouTube, kind of previewing uh, with a couple clips of the soundtrack before the movie came out, and I was kind of under underwhelmed. The music grew on me though a mm-hmm. lot, and I feel like this soundtrack is not. So John Williams, I feel like you could listen to yes, uh, it uh, separate from the movie and enjoy it without ever seeing the films. Totally agree with you. Totally. Uh, I think with this soundtrack, it's less standalone. Right. If you know the movie, you can enjoy it Mm -hmm. and you can still enjoy it by itself. But it's not quite as like it's not designed necessarily for like a a concert piece, Mm -hmm. for example. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't not quite as memorable. It's a little bit more uh, complex. I would actually say it's along the same lines as The Force Awakens Mm -hmm. in many ways. And I I adore The Force Awakens soundtrack. Like Ray's theme is amazing. Um but a lot of people came out of The Force Awakens saying, I can't recall a particular theme mm-hmm. right off the bat. Uh, it wasn't super noticeable. Um, and that's okay. you know. And after time, it grows on you. And the, the same thing happened for me with, with Rogue One. And Michael Giacchino did some really nice things where actually the, 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 the main theme in Rogue One, the theme that comes up the most, if you listen carefully to A New Hope when Obi-Wan is talking about uh, uh, well, you get Leia's message, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Obi-Wan's talking about uh, kind of what happened and everything uh, to, to, to Luke. Uh, that same music reappears. Michael Giacchino actually took a tiny little cue from Obi- Obi-Wan's uh, uh, hut and made it into the main theme for Rogue One, which is really cool. And this is credit to um, David Collins for mm-hmm. pointing this out on Star Wars Oxygen. He takes this little theme and basically makes it so the main theme of Rogue One is all about like the Death Star and then hands that off to, you know, Obi-Wan kind of gets that theme in um, 
in a new hope where he kind of takes on the mission that uh, uh that Jin and Cassian and everyone started in uh in Rogue One and kind of takes the completion in, in a new hope. So that it was kind of cool like, how he did some of that stuff. Interesting. Uh, is it as good as John Williams? No, it is not. Um and I cannot wait for the episode eight soundtrack. But I still really enjoy this quite a bit. And my two favorite pieces on the soundtrack mm-hmm. are um, your father would have been proud, which is the the, the scene when everyone uh, it's all the deaths and the destruction of the planet with the Death Star and all that kind of stuff. Um, specifically, actually, the, the Death Star firing, um, which is such a it's a great piece. And then the next piece after that, hope where Vader storms the the ship mm. and then the plans are are delivered at the very end. Like those two pieces are perfect, mm-hmm. so perfect. Yep. Anyway. It's enough of me uh, talking about the soundtrack, cool. I guess. <laughs> also, and fun fact, the heroes were not supposed to die in the first draft. Yeah, of, that's of come script. out recently. Well, yeah, I remember saying that they weren't, when they started writing, they weren't sure if Disney would it, let them do that sort of thing in the movie. Right. And uh, obviously that was never an issue. So, yeah, it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. Um, let's see. There's also, I guess this was also Edu. And Steven, you mentioned one of the attempt. Yeah, I was about, about I was about to go back yeah, to Edu. That one. Um, we get a really, first of all, we get the culmination of the Jin and Galo part of the story, which was very well done. Um, but I, we also got the, uh, first starfighter battle of the movie, which I was very happy with as the, uh, X-Wings and Y-Wings make a bombing run across the facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Visually it, was a, it was a very visually distinct planet. Yeah. Fine. Take the Sorry. words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, I agree. It was a visually stunning segment not maybe the best orders on general draven's part but uh cool yeah, i didn't uh, really but... like draven seemed kind of like a bit of a jerk <laughs> but well he's constantly like telling cassie and uh, actually kill you know go ahead and kill galen or cassie didn't report in let's kill galen send him send him the, the strike <laughs> team yeah and like <laughs> it's like constantly galen, causing problems galen has to go it's like okay. of course you know, before the heroes can arrive, uh, Krennic gets there and like is trying to root out who the the traitor is. And even though Galen confesses, he ends up killing Galen's entire staff. Very, also and very well done. Scene, and very brutal. That just shows how much of a pain in the butt Krennic is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And manipulative too. Again, that shows how he manipulates Galen. Yeah. yeah, that's all to do it. Yeah, it's, it's very sad, and you know, Cassian's about ready to kill him. But thankfully, this is where Cassian's redemption comes in. He has a change of heart mm-hmm. and decides not to kill Galen. Uh, and of course, that's when Jin shows up on the platform, and then the the bombs fall, and everything falls apart, uh, and and Galen dies in uh, in Jin's arms, which is kind of very sad. I'm surprised that Jin didn't hate the rebellion <laughs> more after that scene. But, I was as well. Yeah, but that's to a good be point. fair. She never really seemed to like them much in the first place. So that's true. And she knew the Empire was more evil. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of that those is one where it's like find out about. Sorry, go tell me. I was gonna say that's one of the things where it's like you know, who who do you trust more or who do you trust last? Mm-hmm. You have to play it. Well, and one fun, one very fascinating aspect is uh, about this movie is we actually get to see just how disjointed and. Uh, unorganized the rebellion really is Mm -hmm. right everyone has different agendas 
and different beliefs and you know Bail Organa just wants to make sure that he stops the atrocities Mon Mothma wants to work through the politics and make it all um, work out um, the uh, Draven just wants to do his job and you know take out the Empire um, there's different senators who are believing who, who believe like that the, all hope has been lost and they should just give up and dissolve the rebellion uh, Radis kind of goes off on his own goes he actually goes rogue as well mm-hmm. and uh, you know takes the, the the rebel fleet to Scarif and like the rebellion's falling apart and there's no one leader and I think it's only be, really because because of the their victory at Scarif that they were able to probably survive mm-hmm. and, and and not fall apart it seems that way yeah mm-hmm. yeah it does and the rebellion's a lot grittier too like they're willing to they're willing to, uh, to, you know, to maybe to, to 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 do whatever's necessary, really, to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not always as 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 perfect as uh, we were led to believe before. They're willing to kind of get their hands dirty to achieve their their goal. It's a much uh, I call it almost a more realistic look at what the Galactic War probably looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was uh, which was good. It was it was a much more. Um, I don't want to say adult because that gives the wrong impression. It's not like inappropriate stuff, but it's it's more. Uh, it was more serious topics. Uh, everything felt like it had more like like with the Force Awakens when someone got hit it had a lot more oomph and impact mm-hmm. to it. Um, they yeah. were willing to go a bit darker would, in the film. Would you put it this way? It was more of a mature movie instead of being because it it was it touched on a lot of if you want to say instead of the adult, the mature topics of the gray area mm-hmm. of war, how far you can push mm-hmm. yourself. And and this is, and to a certain extent, it was a bit of a thinking movie because of how it ended. And yes, I'm very surprised Disney let it go the way it did because you know what? In my opinion, I said it before I said it again. They had to die at the end of this movie. Everybody had to be wiped out. And that's why I think when it came to Scarif, uh, you don't really see, although there are different battles going on within in the galaxy, you really don't see the shore troopers that you see here. You don't see the death troopers that you see here. You don't see the ties that you see on Scarif. And to me, mm-hmm. when Scarif got destroyed the way it did, it was able to wipe that slate clean mm-hmm. because everybody died. That made the easy transition going into episode four because, yes, again, different battles happen in different areas, but you can accept all that stuff not being seen in episodes four, five, and six. Right, exactly. Because there's like the, what was it? There was the, there was one TIE fighter that was like an atmospheric TIE that we don't see. And actually, right. that was also cool. The fact that we had the atmospheric battles as well, in addition to the space battles and stuff. But, um, but yeah, you know, that, that explains why there's a lot of stuff we don't see. Yeah. And, because it was maybe only in that type of environment or that was only in, um, you know, uh, it was destroyed and they only had, a few of them or whatever. Yep. Yeah. So, now going to, let, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about Tarkin, how they were able yes. to bring him back. Now I've heard back and forth. People are just like, well, it was irritating. It was jarring. It was this, it was that I felt when I saw it and I've seen the movie three times, when you first see him back, you're cheering like you wouldn't believe it is a little jarring 
to begin with. I will agree with that because I first saw it in 3D. And then you, then I saw it the other two times, you know, not in 3D. But I accepted after a certain point, my mind was able to accept Tarkin the way he was. And it didn't bother me as much that he was a created character for this movie. But I feel that he had to be in this movie. And again, I go back to Catalyst. If you've read Catalyst, you understand why he had to be in this movie. And because of the way the plot was, was plotted out, he had to be in this movie. If they were to have put an actor in there with prosthetics, I don't think I would have been able to accept that as Tarkin up on the screen as I did him being back as a CG character because my mind was able to bridge the gap and accept him being up there as a CG character. What do you guys feel? So Tarkin, I actually was totally fine with. I, I definitely noticed, uh, you know, a difference immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that's a bad thing that, because no. I mean, it's, it was pretty clear that especially those like, yeah, you know what? Like just me who's watched Star Wars a lot. That was clearly CG Tarkin. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was one of those things where it was like, it was close a lot of times where it was like, is that, I can't quite tell, like, that's, you know, something seems slight, slightly off, but I don't, I can't tell quite what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, CG Leia I had a lot more issues with, though. I would agree with that. That I would agree that is, with. That's the one where I really noticed. I was like, that is not what I was expecting. I agree. I, I, so I think both looked very good. Mm-hmm. There was just something about Leia that was slightly more off. I don't know if it's like yep. in her cheeks or mouth area or something. I thought it was I her forehead, personally. It was what? Her forehead looked like it was oh, too Oh, really? I, oh, it could be it. I, yeah, so I, I, think, I thought the face floated. When, when I was watching was, it, I thought there was something about the face that was floating. Yeah, so there, there was definitely something slightly off. I, I will say, it was. I loved seeing Leia. And I think you really had to have Leia to yes. kind of cement the... Um, the uh, it, you had to tie it into a new hope and everyone had just died and they escaped with the plants. And so you need to show Leia there to, to kind of close everything out and make the ending happier and not just like, wow, everyone in the movie died. Darth Vader just came in, destroyed everyone on the ship. They just barely escaped, but you know, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> you needed to have Leia there. And the fact the that, only, you know, I think they could have done line. just from the back though. And I think that would have worked. Uh, as well. I, you know what? I, I don't know. I agree with Steven. I think, I think from the back, I would have accepted it. I, I accepted her being in there. I, I have no problem with Leia in there. I thought it was beautiful. And because of the situation that, that's going on, I, 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 she needed to be in there the way she was. But mm. I had, and I think if she was in the movie more, it would have bothered me more. But since she is in there so quick, I mean, she's, she's in there. Well, you only see her for like five. Seconds. Yeah, five seconds. But but still, but still, it was like there was something off. But like I said, when it came to Tarkin, there was something off with him. But because he was in there so much, I was able to to make it work and accept him up there. I think yes. the way that Leia looked like for that five seconds, if he was in there a lot longer, still looking that way, it it would have taken something away. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I I so I think you had to show Leia's face, but I think. Uh, the fact that they didn't show her that long was 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 okay, and there was something yeah. slightly off about her. Tarkin, on the other hand, I knew he was CG. I know he wasn't. I knew he wasn't really there, but he looked really good. Mm-hmm. And by the by the second viewing, 
he actually didn't really bother me at all. Like I knew in the back of my head, he's CG, right? But he didn't actually like he didn't it wasn't off putting at all. And, and so like when it so whenever I watch it now, it's just like oh, it's 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 Tarkin. I accept that it's Tarkin. He sounds like Tarkin. He walks and walks and moves like Tarkin. Um, and I know he's CG, but it didn't really bother me. And it's so cool that they were able to bring back a character, you know, an, an actor who died 22 years ago, mm-hmm. and bring him back into this film because you, you can't have a uh, a Star Wars movie uh, about the Death Star and not have Tarkin. Yeah, he. Had it to be it in just the doesn't. Movie. It doesn't work. He had to be in the movie. Yep. Um, and so that moment when you know we kind of glimpsed the back of his head in the trailers, and there's that moment where Krennic walks into the walks under the Death Star and he approaches. Uh, this guy and you could you know it's it's Tarkin you see him from the back and I just thought we would see his reflection in the window or you know um, something like that I didn't think we'd actually see his face and he turns around mm-hmm. and you're just like whoa yeah they brought Tarkin back and not only did they bring him back he's a big character mm-hmm. in the movie he has yeah. multiple major scenes mm-hmm. and I-, I just think like Island did such a, an amazing job yeah and he he had to have that kind of status within this movie it couldn't have been a diminished status. And again, if they would have brought in an actor with the prosthetics like they did at the end of episode uh, three, I could have accepted that if they brought that actor back. But then again, the thing is, he was able to play it off in episode three because he was so far away. He wasn't that close to camera. If he actually had the shots with the prosthetics, yeah, between episode three and now and, and, and 77 to now, prosthetics has gotten so much better, it could have worked. But the feel of Tarkin, yeah, the feel of Tarkin would not have been there, and the actual tie-in to to Star Wars would have been there, but not have been there to put you over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think I think they did a great job, and this is it'll be very interesting to see how this technology is used in the future. I mean, it's not the first time they've digitally recreated an actor, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's probably. I mean, there've been times where people have like died during production or something, and they've had to you know, digitally insert their heads or dig up old footage or whatnot, uh, or digitally recreate them briefly. But I, th- I think this is probably one of the first examples of an actor who so has this... no involvement in it, mm-hmm. uh, being recreated to this extent. So I think they even said, it, uh, you know, a couple weeks after the movie came out and they started talking about it, that they basically said like, you know what, we're like, we're going to try this. We don't know if it's even going to work, if we're gonna be able to make it work. But, like, we'll see what happens. And they said it was expensive enough. It's not something they could do on a regular basis either. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do know that they shot uh, a lot of the scenes multiple ways. My guess is, like, maybe they did have, a you know, someone wearing prosthetics. Because uh, they had uh, Guy Henry play uh, Tarkin mm-hmm. uh, on set uh, and be, like, his body. And, you know, they, they digitally recreated his face. And so maybe... Um, uh, maybe you know they had him a little bit of prote- prosthetics on set, so he looked kind of like Tarkin, like because I think he played Tarkin in uh, Revenge of the Sith at the very mm. end for those two seconds, or um, you know, or maybe they had scenes without Tarkin at all in case the effect just didn't work, right? And they they reshot different different versions, uh, but I'm glad they included him, in him and I'm glad it 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 worked out as as well as it did. Yeah, uh, it's a really a great accomplishment, and. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they use it in the future sparingly due to the expense. But, you know, uh, it's a it's a big it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. So, so I think and, and it didn't it didn't bother me. And actually, the the 
you know, once I, after I, my first showing, and even by the like by the end of the movie, he wasn't really bothering me. No. The biggest thing I, I will say, um, I've been surprised by how many people did not know he was CG. Wow. Have you encountered that at all? I haven't encountered that at all. Okay. Not at like, all. I, I saw it with some some friends and some friends of my family, and after the movie, I was like, I was like, well, what did you think of Tarkin? Like, well, what do you mean? Like, well, he was he was CG. He wasn't real. Like, no way really and i explained to them that he was you know he the actor died 22 years ago and all this kind of stuff and they were blown away yeah when i the... sorry when, when when i saw the movie i saw it bunch of star wars fans meh, general public and then general public again um went with my family yeah. to two of them so there was really no discussion about that um, if it was with actual like master Star Wars fans, like if you and I and with everybody else went went together to see the movie, we probably would have brought that up. But yeah. they, I don't think they made the connection that it was Peter Cushing, right? Yep. Yeah. That that he passed away and that was a CG character that was just not brought up at all. So, yeah. you know that that's. But for me, it's like I said, first seeing him on screen, it was just that little bit jarring, but then your mind got used to it. And you you accepted it, especially whoever they they had somebody recreate the voice, and that was Tarkin. I believe it was that, Stephen Stanton. Yeah, and that that was I'm sorry, that was Peter Cushing up on the screen to me. How how it was done was just outstanding. So mm-hmm. no, the voice, everything, yeah. everything was so perfect. Yeah, and so I think the fact they were able to fool some people. Yep, and I've seen it online as well. People say like, oh, I didn't know he was he was he was CG. The fact they were able to fool some people just really shows how good of a job yeah they did anyway well i think uh i think we've covered pretty much everything about uh <clears throat> about this film should we uh anything else before we get into our, our, our final thoughts i'm done steven yeah i think that's about it for me as well okay okay well then uh who Tom, else do you want to i'll go first go first 9.5 done Wow, you know what? That no, was easy. I, I, you know, on, honestly, honestly, this movie, I, I, I loved Episode Seven. I came into this movie really with it's a Star Wars movie, it's going to be a war movie, and I, it was better than the book Battlefront, which was supposed to be a war book. Okay, I had to say it. This movie, I'm delivered on so many levels. I loved this movie. I love it so much. I am looking forward to when it finally gets on DVD. I am watching the DVD and right after it, popping in episode four. Because mm-hmm. it is so tied right into episode four. They did, a Garth Edwards and everybody who put this movie together did such a great job with this movie. I just, it's a 9.5. I'm taking my 9.5 Womp Rats. I'm putting them within the Death Star on this big hamster wheel because it's not Kyber Crystals. Well, actually, it is the Kyber Crystal, but somebody's got to kickstart the Kyber Crystal to create the energy. And it's the 9.5 Womp Rats who are on this little hamster wheel trying to kickstart that, like a bad battery, kickstart the Kyber Crystal to actually fire the Death Star weapon. It's not the little Grass Valley switcher where the guy pulls it. Actually, it's a Grass Valley switcher. He pulls the lever that's releasing the bait in front of the Womp Rats to get them to move the uh, the hamster wheel so it'll power up the Kyber Crystal to shoot the laser. So there you go. 9.5. Wow. 
Steven? Okay, then. Oh, so I think... I think I'm going to have to give it an 8.5 Womp Rats out of 10. Um, I also really enjoyed the movie. I think I was... I loved uh, especially the space battle at the very end. And the entire Battle of Scarif, I thought, was really well done. Um, there was a little bit, I felt, of uneven pacing in the kind of middle half of the film, particularly when they're kind of on their way to Edu. Um, I felt like the movie dragged a little bit there. Overall, though, I, I did just really, really enjoy it. Um, and I've, I'm, I'm not even... I'm trying to think what to do with my Womp Rats. Um, I think it's just that uh, the crew of the... Uh, Hammerhead ship that was responsible for destroying the Star Destroyer was actually made up of my eight and a half Womp Rats, and they uh, many many Womp Rats died to get the Death Star plans, is what I guess I would say. So they died to take down the shield <laughs> generator. Exactly. Good one. They're the ones that made it possible. There you go. Rip Womp Rats. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know I okay so wow this is such a such a good movie. I think it's hard to rank it right now in my you know, all-time favorite Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. but I would say it's it's up there, right? It's a different type of Star Wars film, but it, it they succeeded on every level. Um, I think is this weird thing where like I think I like I think I like the Force Awakens just li- slightly more because I love Ray and Finn and the fact that we had all you know Han and Luke and Leia and uh, and the amazing John Williams soundtrack. Uh, but they're they're close. They're both so good. And actually, I love. I think I love the last third of Rogue One the best. Mm-hmm. And I, li- I like the first two thirds of The Force Awakens the best. <laughs> Shockingly. Uh, it's like it's like the inverse. Um, uh, yeah, but like once they got on Scarif, like I think the movie is like pure perfection. Um, it's just so good. And not that I would want just the Scarif part. You need everything else. But you know, I, I just love the moments of the space battle and uh, Vader at the end and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm gonna give this movie, I'm gonna go with Tom. I'm gonna give it nine and a half Womp Rats out of 10. Uh, so good. And also like, there's a bunch of things like minor things we didn't have time to mention either. Like Dr. Evazan and Panda Baba showed up. Mm-hmm. They had blue milk at the beginning of the movie. There was like a, oh, I love the blue milk. yeah, the blue milk. Yeah. Was great. There, was a, there was a Twi'lek dancer. Was that Ula? It looked like almost Ula, uh, it, dancing in Sagrera's place, like a hologram of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an analog version of Dejeric. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. There's like lots of little tiny details in addition to all the rebels connections and the amazing moments with Vader and the heroes and the fact that they went so far as to have all the heroes die. Like there's not many star, like that's not pretty rare for star Wars, let alone movies in general. There's Mm -hmm. not a lot of movies where the entire cast dies. So what William is saying, this podcast could have gone for about four hours. Oh yeah, we could have. Yeah, we could have. We, we actually could have. I will say, I, I appreciate that we're not going to go for four hours. Oh, I totally yeah. agree. Especially we're, now we're... that again to be lunchtime and uh, it's priorities. Past lunchtime now. Anyway. I know. Pray. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, then I. Oh yes. Then anyway, a football I'm going to give it on soon. Star Wars. Yeah, I know Star Wars. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, uh, all that's to be said. Um, the point of it is, great movie. Yeah. Oh Was yeah. It perfect. Oh yeah. No. No. It was not perfect, but it was excellent. And so I'm going to give it nine and a half Womp Rats out of ten. And my Womp Rats, um, they're actually... Uh, so before Vader arrives in the the hallway leading to the Tantive Four, he had to like make his through, way through the profundity. And the whole time it was Womp Rats who were fighting against Vader. And so Vader's just destroying these Womp Rats. Um, uh, okay. And 
but unfortunately the Whopper Ants did not survive. No. They Except never for do. that one half. They never do. Yeah, there, there's a half running around somewhere. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, that, that half is still on the ceiling. <laughs> on that note, on that note, um, our next podcast coming up is going to be a review of Ghost of Geonosis, which is going to be the next Rebels episode. That yes. one is going to have... It's two-parter. And uh, a very familiar face is going to be making an appearance on the show. I believe it's uh, hmm, it's uh, Saw Guerrero, I think. You know, that should be interesting. Yeah. I think I saw that. Yeah, and I think it's supposed but to have... Uh, okay, William. Oh, God. It's supposed to have a tie-in to what we just talked about, Reb... Uh, Force. Yes. I was going to say Force Awakens. No, tie into Rogue One. Yes, it is. Well, and uh, we'll actually be recording our review of this tomorrow night. So yep. uh, stay tuned. Get, stay tuned. Two two massive episodes coming your way. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be uh, talking to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away, including Rebels, the sequel trilogy, spinoff films, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncannoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in touch with us by emailing contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions expressed on this show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans for fans and is copyright 2016.